Well, we're still waiting for the Prime Minister to reveal that Brexit isn't an April Fool's joke two years in the making, but we're here to talk jibberfish, aren't we, Dom? Yeah, we're, we're here to talk jibberfish. It's been it's been a weird week, for, or a weird, been, like, couple months at this point for Brexit, yeah, but I, the last, I mean, it just got worse today. Yeah, I, I'm not, I've, not read, I've not read up on what happened today, but it's from what I've read in, of what I'm seeing on the BBC News and in papers like The National and The Guardian and stuff like that, it's just... There's talks going on, but Theresa May is so focused on her deal being the best deal that she's not willing to hear other people's opinions, or at least that's how I've been seeing it. Yeah. But but ultimately, I've not been looking too far into it because I was at a house party last night. <laughs> Three hours straight, two people just started bitching about politics at each other, and it got to the point where it was just like, you're fucking wrong, you're fucking wrong. And I just kind of went to the three other people that weren't arguing. I just went, guys, you just want to go. <laughs> we just went, There's like a pub down the road. We can yeah, go there. I mean, it's three in the morning. I'm going home. <laughs> I'm, not yeah. st- I'm done drinking. Yeah. Which also leads into one of my topics. Stop talking about politics at house parties. <laughs> Fair enough. If it gets into a little bit of a heat debate, I'm fine with that. But if it takes up three fucking hours of what's meant to just be a leave the politics, leave the work, leave... Like you can talk about sports, you can talk about music, you can talk about video games, you can talk about bullshit you see on the TV. Talk about things that genuinely allow you to just leave your brain on the table for a bit. Leave the heavyweight issues at the door. Yeah. You come at a house party, you kill brain cells, not expand them. Yeah. And nobody yeah. has a great opinion that they can articulate after like six vodkas. Yeah. But in three hours I went from being, you know, a little, little buzz on because it went out. I, there was a rugby game beforehand. Had a little bit of a buzz on after that because we won the game. Kind of kept that going, had a couple of beers with dinner, went to the house party, then I was like, yeah, I've got a little bit of a good buzz going, keep the beers going, then during the three-hour political discussion, I sobered up, I was hungover by the time I went home. <laughs> oh, that's horrific. Oh, I hate that, kind of like the, the waking hangover, like you can feel it twist, yeah. like your brain just dries out and says, nah, you, you're done here, you're not yeah, having fun tonight. The, and you have missed the timer. <laughs> Please reset and try again. <laughs> you can extend the timer by just downing this bottle of whiskey. Yeah. I, uh, the other thing I went up about April's, uh, which is I, I found my, my best ofs this year. Uh, you, you were severely disappointed by uh, Sonic Team, uh, Sonic Team releasing yeah. the Sonic R wannabe trailer. Uh, that was it wasn't just, even a trailer. It was just like here's a poster. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Just here is a poster. Here's a poster of your worst memories of Sonic, and no, it's not the movie. Actually, so, is that still that's still going? Is that still a thing? But I think they were all just like, guys. Here's the here's the live action version of what Sonic's going to look like, and everyone's just going. No, we can't see the full thing, but we're not impressed. We're worried. <laughs> what is this bullshit? It's concerning, Sonic. I think I remember seeing Sonic Team saying, uh, we were not involved in this, but we respect their opinion. Yeah. <laughs> wow. They paid us already. That's why they respect <laughs> We got our cash. We're leaving it alone now. They paid us specifically to leave it alone because they know that our Twitter account is like 50-50 trolling at this point. Yeah. Um, my best were uh, one of my favourite YouTube channels, uh, Biographics. They just do like 20 minute videos breaking down historical figures. Um, they actually take a really weirdly good look at the Nazis. If you ever come up against them, if you're like, I wonder who like this guy was, that you hear a name, mm. good odds that they've got a, a video on a Nazi. Um, All right. Explaining like, it's a lot of them, you're like, hmm, it's a lot of the same kind of story of they were the run of the litter and they found a way to make power for themselves in the Nazi party and then all of a sudden they're at the head of the German war machine and mm. they have all this power and they can just, just so happen to abuse it. Um, but Simon Whistler, the host of it, uh, is really good at delivering this like style of video. Mm. It's really consistent throughout the whole thing. Uh, but he delivered uh, one on King Arthur. 
well, he's left fake fictional character. So, <laughs> but the fact that he holds it for so long, like, I know he's fake because I mean, we're British. We've grown up with the kind of folklore. We know, we know roughly what's real and stuff. Yeah. Obviously, like with history becomes legend, things kind of twist over time. But you still know the ones that are definitely fake. Yeah, I guarantee you that got somebody. Yeah, because it was good. It was good. It was a good twenty solid minutes of like him going through all the lore and explaining it. But oh, actually, it does tie into this and this and towards the end, like, look, I'm sorry, but. If you haven't noticed by now, this video was uploaded on April 1st, so yeah. King Arthur's actually fake, but here we go, we'll just finish off the rest of the story, because <laughs> it does get I, really weird and interesting. Actually, I, I do remember one April Fool's joke that I did quite like, and it was from, again, I've been waxing lyrical about this channel since we started recording the podcast again, but the Dead Meat channel, Yeah, uh, James A. Janice, he did a, a, with his Kill Count series where he goes through different films and rates or says how many kills there are in there, does a little analytical bit about it. He was going to do a kill count for Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> <laughs> and he starts off the video just going, guys, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> then he starts, he goes into another uh, kill count. When it's like, it was an episode of a show called Boy Meets World. I think I've heard of the show. I don't think I remember it very I can't. I, I can't remember this episode, but basically one of, what is, the episode is, it's a Halloween episode. A kid falls asleep in class and just starts murdering his classmates. Okay. <laughs> Kills someone with a, like, a giant pencil getting st- stuck through their head. And this was on the Disney Channel, I think. Like, guy's got a, obviously it's a prosthetic, but there's a, like, it's hole a, in the head with the pencil yeah. stuck in there. <laughs> then there's, like, somebody gets killed with scissors and it's just like, Disney Channel had balls back in the day. But yeah, he does a kill count on that one. But I just watched the video because I seen it pop up on my YouTube. I was like, oh, a new kill count. Kill count Avengers Infinity War. Dude, half the popula- half of the population of the universe died. You're going to you're gonna hate yourself if you do this. <laughs> Don't do it, James. I mean, it's half the population, but I mean, you can break it down with one thing. Like, all of a sudden it's just, and then dust. That's yeah. it. Uh, but the, the other one for me was uh, Mother's Basement did a review of the Shrek intro. Now, Mother's Basement made its name by doing the uh, these, like, what's in an OP series. So they break down the intros to animes because, like, intro anime stuff mm. is, like, 90 seconds long, which is unheard of. Like, UK yeah. TV is normally, like, 30 seconds. Yeah. It's brief, like, flashes of characters, a bit of explanation. Anime OPs are ridiculous. Yeah, they need to have enough time for the character to walk through the blossom yeah. <laughs> with the tree in the background. He needs to lean against the tree with the sword over the shoulder. Then he needs to look up. See the sky and then as all the of a giant sudden, robot flies over. And then just the, the camera pans up to the sky. But like he would break down. If, there were, if we were making an anime intro like that, he would break down the meaning of that having watched yeah. the whole show. And going back to like reference materials like all the manga, all the light novels, all the like interviews with directors and stuff. It's phenomenal. Like it's a mm. great way. It was a great way for him to um, split himself off from the like thousands of other anime YouTubers who just there to talk about the shows in general. Mm. When he went specialist like that, it did actually give him a lot of credibility. When you see the effort he puts into a lot of the, these, what's in an OP. Mm. So when he does the what's in an OP for Shrek, <laughs> it's phenomenal. And it's it's it, smash mouth. <laughs> some of it's just like complete lies, and some of it's like he's talking about how the fact that like the, the like big heavy hitters like uh, oh, what's his name the fucking guy who made Studio Ghibli. Uh, hey, hi, Miyazaki. Yeah, Miyazaki's like oh, Miyazaki commented on this as being <laughs> truly a great piece of artwork, and you're like, it's it's Shrek taking a shit. Can, can you imagine? <laughs> Hayao Miyazaki, I'm probably butchering his first name, but I think it is Hayao Miyazaki. Can you imagine him, one of the greatest filmmakers of our generation, of our time, mm. sitting down in, in an interview, just say, with some like big media publication, just going, yeah, one of the biggest inspirations for my latest film was when Shrek takes a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I just loved it when I he closes going, the door. <laughs> I was going to retire, but then I saw Shrek taking a shit and thought, 
Not today. <laughs> Spirited Away was going to be my last movie, but then I saw Shrek take a shit. <laughs> Uh, uh, but it's really not like it's like it's a solid. Could like, we make that a t-shirt just blank? It's like I was gonna blank, but then it's a strict take <laughs> shit. Uh, so Jibberfish merchandise coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> Dare you wear it in public? <laughs> you won't do it, you cuck. <laughs> <laughs> you bet a cuck. <laughs> fuck your wife in front of you. I was gonna fuck your wife in front of you, but then it's a strict take shit. The t-shirt works. <laughs> Uh, but Mother's Day, the commitment to the bit on it is just for not, it's the same as the sign washer thing. Like, see when you commit to the bit and follow it through for like 10 solid minutes and then it, you don't break until yeah. like the very end. Oh, it's, it's one of my favourite things in comedy. I mean, just Andy Kaufman was the king of the committing to the bit. Yeah. He did this phenomenal sketch where he goes out, uh, I think he's got a guitar around his, uh, no, he hasn't got a guitar, but he's got a set of bongos on stage. Yeah. And he goes out and he tells a joke and he's, halfway through it, he, he stops his room and just, guys, look, I'm really not good at comedy. Can you just, you just like, <laughs> back off and like, give me some time? And he keeps telling it and he starts like crying midway through it and just hitting the bongo. <laughs> and this goes on for about eight minutes. I'm just like, ah, if you're going to do that, you need to commit to the bit. Yeah. You're not <laughs> sure if you're watching like a mental breakdown or if it's a part of the routine. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he just bursts back into you. Oh, thank God. And all of a sudden God, he just goes, okay. thank you and bows to the crowd. And I'm like, you fucking genius. You dick. <laughs> Uh, the winner for me, though, was Rainbow Six Siege. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't expect a video game from Ubisoft to pull a fucking uh, April Fool's, especially one that's like four years old at this point. Mm. Uh, Siege turned an entire map called Aeroplane uh, and took it uh, from, it's supposed to be Air Force One, it's now Air Cute One. You're now playing, or you're now doing an operation in the middle of a children's toy set. Complete rework, the Air Force One has now been repainted entirely pink. Your uh, operators, as in the, the player characters, are now made to look like army men. Mm-hmm. So if you're not wearing the special custom skins, and I mean we're talking like the uh, the like normal custom skins are different like camouflages for different terrain. Mm. These are all bright pink. <laughs> I got a, a custom pack for free for like just joining in the game mode during uh, April Fools. Like it was on for a week as well, so that you, know, you get your money's worth. Uh, the weapon skin that I unlocked was actually a pink gun. With the uh, the magazine for the gun was uh, like purple leopard print. <laughs> the level of detail okay. these people put in the fucking game, like just for a week for a joke, is absurd. It's that, nonsense. You find that that kind of backfires in studios because a, uh, I think there was a company called Arika that made a series of games on the PlayStation Two called a uh, Street Fighter EX, which was the first big three D Street Fighter game. Yeah. They made a whole host of characters. Eventually, they split from Capcom because. They wanted to do their own thing with their own characters. Mm. Uh, they did an April Fool's joke about four years ago saying, we're back, this is the game that we're going to bring. Then everyone just kind of started bombarding all the YouTubes and Twitters and Facebooks with messages going, that's a good idea, why don't you do that? Yeah. And then they just went, shit, we're going to have to do this now. <laughs> so they commit to it then. they I think they gave us Fighting Lair EX, hmm. or Fighting EX Lair. Yeah. So yeah, it, it could backfire on them. But then again, you might get a good fighting game out of it. So yeah. can't be well, all that bad. I'd be so. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they've, they've done this thing with your previous events, um, where they like redo whole things, uh, for almost no reason. Like, uh, Operation Outbreak was amazing, where they mm. just had this entirely new gameplay mode where you fought zombies, mm. and that's not what Siege is about. And then they did the Halloween uh, spooky haunted mansion, which was <laughs> awesome. Uh, where they just they reskinned uh, a bunch of the characters. They put like limited what characters would be on the map, mm. and also they took uh, the map house. And then turned it, uh, they like chucked a bunch of fog on it so you couldn't see shit. 
<laughs> but then they give a bunch of people custom skins like they have uh, Habana who's the Japanese operator turned with the girl from the grudge like oh, nice. full white face paint like full long like full length black hair and stuff uh, Mira turned into like a creepy nurse lady um, and then I think the best one though was uh, Jaeger who's a German operator turned mm. into the dead baron they give him a skeleton head <laughs> nice not just like a skeleton face mask because there's hundreds of those in that game they just took it back to like they made his head a skeleton <laughs> and just had that run around the map and just shoot people in the head and you're like oh that's terrifying yes. <laughs> but the uh, the operation uh, the, I can't remember what the hell it's called I think it's uh, Rainbow Six uh, I can't remember what the hell they called it again it was Air Force Cute is just the kind of general no name for it mm. but they um, they also have the like announcer voice which went from like uh, cool stern tactical operating voice round begins in three seconds three two one change that to a young woman reading a like children's bedtime novel because <laughs> uh, the game t- uh, the game like type was hostage rescue mm. the hostage was a teddy bear you had to go in and save mr bear <laughs> <laughs> and the operation like it, all your drones have got little cat faces on them like my little uh, like hello kitty <laughs> stuff you just drive around yeah. and it's uh, just an answer the friends had found Mr. Bear. <laughs> <laughs> Some like English CBBC presenter. Just it like, is. It sounds exactly <laughs> like that. It's brilliant. And they break into the room and they find Mr. Bear. But he has <laughs> several armed guards. <laughs> <laughs> the friends were trying to find Mr. Bear. If you lose, like all oh, your team gets downed. All you hear is, the friends had lost. What a shame. And you're like, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> we didn't save Mr. Bear. <laughs> Wait, what the fuck did I just say? <laughs> Wait, why am I saying that? I went to go in this game to shoot people. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So I, I do enjoy it though. It was mm. it was a lot of fun. I played a couple of rounds of it. The colours, everything's bright pink and then there's a couple of different coloured rooms that kind of different lighting effects really fuck with you. Because mm. some operators are the same colour as the room. Like Capcan, the Russian like trap based operator is like orange. I think for most of it, there's an orange room. <laughs> You can't see him. <laughs> he blends into the background. He's already fucking terrifying. Like he puts little um, IEDs next to doors, so he like stay like drills the thing into place. You walk through the door, you blow up, and you can you used to die like one hit, one kill. But in this hmm. case, you get like heavily banged up. Now it's like I think you get like partially stunned, and you lose half your health. So if somebody's waiting in ambush for you, like a yellow guy in a yellow room, you're about to get fucking rocked. <laughs> It was uh, a lot of fun though, totally absurd, especially when you uh, you shoot bullets at the wall, and uh, because a lot of the the Rainbow Six Siege gameplay is based on like terrain damage, they like track bullet holes through walls, so they decided to turn all the bullet holes into little stars, so it's like you were painting a children's uh, nursery room by just spraying a machine gun over the wall. It was awesome. <laughs> nice. Um. Yeah, that was that was my best rain. That was my uh, yeah. best of April Fools. The other thing, the other April Fools joke that I, that I seen was a uh, Capcom were doing a thing for uh, hiring zombies. They did a recruitment drive for zombies because they calculated that how many people played the game, how many times, how many zombies appear at a certain point. They calculated that they must have killed something along the lines of eleven billion zombies in the oh, game for Resident Evil. For Resident Evil Two <laughs> alone, so they said, "Oh, you're going to recruit some zombies, so you do a couple of questions, and it pops up." Uh, what zombie you would be in it's like click further to go and like click further to go to a recruitment page and you click on it and it just takes you back to the Resident Evil 2 main page <laughs> like buy the game page <laughs> I see what you're doing there Capcom but well, I don't think done. you need to force people to buy Resident Evil 2 anymore that game is still people yeah. are still buying it I uh, I saw a clip of somebody playing it and I see what you mean with Mr. X because yeah. you're right Mr. X is terrifying how bad could it possibly I saw him punch through the wall to get to somebody I was like what the yeah, shit just, is this he 
fucking falcon punches through a wall, grabs a guy's skull, crushes it, and then drags him up through the brick wall, then just walks away. <laughs> like, okay, I'm done here. Bye. I'm, I'm done with this fucker. I'm coming for you now. <laughs> I think the best one I saw was when somebody uh, was like running away because they thought Mr. X was behind them. They burst through a wall. Or they burst through a door and Mr. X was standing on the other side of the door and just lays them out flat. Yeah, he punches them back through the door. I'm like, the fist is the size of the woman's chest. What the fuck are you yeah. doing? Mr. X is fucking terrifying. But if you if you play the game more and more, it shifts from just, oh God, this guy's terrifying. It just, become, it just, then it just becomes, like, fuck off, Mr. X, you trench coat rapist. Leave me the fuck alone. You trench coat rapist. He, he just wants to fuck you over. That's what he wants to do. He's a giant fedora-wearing bastard. I uh, I think the other thing that pops up every like April first is it's like a little island of sanity because I, I'm always on edge about it and uh, there was there was actually a really good Reddit post of a guy who says Reddit skepticism has made me such a dick about April first I fucked up a family get together really <laughs> uh yeah he went out um it's a normal day didn't really have anything to really talk about mm. and then he comes back home and he's newly married I think he's been with a, like with his wife for like six months now. Um, like they've been a, a married couple for six mm. months. That doesn't sound like what I said the first time, but he um he went in, uh, he got told we're gonna have to go to like my aunt's house. There's like an emergency like kind of family meeting. He goes mm. okay, and he initially was like yeah sure emergency family meeting on April first yeah sure whatever buddy, and uh, he goes there, and it's the uh the the like the couple that own the house, mm. and they explain that they're getting a divorce and they've been uh in trouble for the last couple weeks um and that there's been an issue where like the guy discovered that his uh his wife is fucking their best friend like these two families know each other they've been friends together they hang out together all the time hmm. just so happens you know his wife and their husband are fucking the entire time and they've been doing it for years and it's over like they can't reconcile the marriage they haven't told the kids yet but they need the help they want support from the family and just to try and get through this horrible time the guy goes well done guys well done <laughs> bravo Bra- what on April 1st <laughs> everyone turns around and looks at me and goes what the fuck are you on about he's like no seriously you guys need to go to you guys need an Oscar for this this is fantastic at this point like the grandmother has a fucking mental breakdown and runs screaming out the room and the wife turns around and says I don't think they're joking. <laughs> and they explain, no, we are not joking. <laughs> then he goes, seriously? April 1st? Like, not a thing? No, no. <laughs> and just this guy say, just his confession of like, I think I fucked up. And everyone's like, yeah, you fucked it. Yeah, you, <laughs> you fucked it, boy. <laughs> you absolutely fucked it. But my, Majorly my, fucked that one up. My small island of sanity is uh, Rooster Teeth. Because they were found, they started on April 1st. Because mm. the first episode of RUB went up on April 1st. Uh, but I'm 16 years old now. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of scary to think about. It's impressive, though. Wait, they started on YouTube, or did they start somewhere else? They started hosting their own webs, uh, their own uh, material on their own website oh, because right. YouTube is actually younger than them. Jesus. Yeah, that's that's when you know you've got a legacy, son. Yeah, that's, that's pretty scary. But no, nah, I'm per- I'm personally kind of I'm trying to pull away from YouTube because I'm sick of seeing like this, the self righteousness of people who post these videos. But you remember the episode of the Joe Rogan podcast where they had the paleontologist in? Oh, the, uh, yeah, the, the guy who has the, the Cthulhu Alex? shirt on it. Alex something? I can't remember. Alex Va- Vale or something? I can't remember. Alex, 
Alex Vale sounds about right. It's yeah. the guy who's got the uh, Cthulhu geeky uh, The Cthulhu uh, American football shirt and yeah. he's got the green beard. Really, really, really cool yeah. episode. If you're someone that's into the kind of the paleontology side of things, because yeah. before I decided to be a lawyer, I, when I was younger, I always wanted to be a paleontologist. So I listened to this episode and he was talking about, he, he listens to a video from a guy on YouTube who just says dinosaurs are fake. Like yeah. Dinosaurs never existed. It's a 30 minute clip and it's actually the one that got me into the Jorgen podcast. Yeah. A really good episode, but uh, the paleontologist goes wrong, wrong. This is it, and it's so good. He gets so mad. He gets like, so oh, he's a paleontologist. He'll be a, a nice, quiet, calm, refined individual. No, he's a like six foot four bald motherfucker with yeah. a with a green beard. Yeah, he, uh, gets, he gets angry about this, and for good reason. Because and he starts drinking. Yeah, but you, you need to on a podcast. <laughs> if you've seen the actual clip, you'll see why he's drinking, and uh, the the uh, the guy he tried to debunk is uh, obsessed with the idea that the paleontology community and the kind of yeah, big Illuminati paleo. at large, yeah, big paleo, big paleo. <laughs> um, is uh, trying to hide the fact that dinosaurs weren't real. Yeah. It's like this kind of Dornan-Kruger effect, which is you could throw information at these people and it could be proven information. It could be studies, research, all these different things, but in a, and it could be 100% true. You're never going to convince people otherwise. But on YouTube, there's this weird phenomenon where people... They make these videos, they speak with authority, and they speak with authority on a key subject, and other people just go, yeah, that sounds about right. This guy knows what he's talking about, and all they get is praise in this little bubble. Yeah. And they don't look outside that bubble. And that's why I'm kind of staring away from, I mean, I'll, I'll go on and watch certain things on YouTube, but mainly they are fairly insubstantial, just little comedy videos. But yeah, any videos that have a lot of weight, I kind of stare away from, because more often than not, if it's something that I don't agree with, they just kind of go, yeah, this guy's good, or they, or they just delete all the negative comments, or... Hmm. I'm kind of trying to stay away from like, I, using YouTube as a source for this kind of thing. I, I look into it for I mean comedy like kind of escapist stuff. Yeah. Um, but I also like compilation series. Um, for example, like Hembo Hero does massive compilations of, like Rooster content like cut short. Hmm. So if you like don't have a lot of time, you're busy, you can play catch up using his stuff. Uh, he's been really for stuff like that, but I've never really ventured. In, I, I gave up in the comment section like within a year of like yeah, if first I could, seeing a YouTube video. Yeah, if I could turn it off permanently and just have the video and yeah. the the next bar, I'd do that in a heartbeat. Uh, yeah. Oh, you mean like as a viewer? Yeah, as a viewer, if I could just turn the comments off. I never really like, delve into the comments. Oh, because I leave like a kind of joking comment. I think it was yeah. one where uh, I was watching Jim Stalin review Division 2 mm-hmm. and he was saying, man, this game's really weird and it's, the, the tactical grind is just boring and I'm like, Jim, I'm sorry you didn't get to play a game where you can dual wield dildos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that it's just not your cup of tea, but this is the shit for me. Like, uh, you know, if there's something that I can make like a little snarky joke at every now and again, or like maybe something like in, a, in the anime community, they're quite open to discussion and stuff. You can yeah. get some interesting conversations there occasionally, um, but you can start some shit there occasionally. But when it comes to like the serious, like the heavy stuff, like I quite enjoy watching philosophy videos, like people talking about ideas. Yeah, philosophy and stuff. tube. His his video on why flat earthers will never be flat earthers are pretty much on. You can't reason with them. Philosophy yeah. tube video on that is really good. Yeah, it kind of breaks it down and it explains the whole phenomenon behind it, like yeah. why people don't trust science and why people really should trust science. Yeah, yeah, but it's pretty good. I do enjoy some of that stuff, and obviously being into Joe Rogan stuff tends to lead you towards that. Um. But stuff like I think me one I watch a lot is uh, rationality rules. Mm. He just he is so like so meticulous in the way he makes videos and stuff. And he'll go through and just he knows his way of thinking and how to break down other people's arguments. You're like oh shit, that's impressive. Like he's he he's very tailored. Like he he clearly makes his videos. I mean, it's good production value. Like mm. it's a good video to watch. 
but I beyond that I tend not to go and look at too much of the stuff that's outside of like certain spheres of just like comedy or like yeah even people just being dicks about things is like I'm happy and safe there but like if I was sitting go out to like these weird like creative thought places that people were just spewing weird content mm. out on the internet I'm like nah I'm good I don't yeah. need that anymore like I don't I think I found what I like and I'll I'll keep venturing around in that area and I'll maybe go out and find new stuff and see what I can do there but I'm not going to go and find the really weird shit yeah and even with comedy there's kind of been some stuff that I've been seeing away, away from on YouTube again it seems it seems to be that I keep coming back to these guys because I still watch them weekly because they upload a shit ton of content but the, the guys at the Valley Folk they've been slowly losing my like subscribe or my subscription for quite a while because they did, they've been just doing different like types of comedy or different types of videos that i'm just thinking this is too weird even for you right i don't even think you get it and you wrote it like it's just, it comes across as really really weird like are they doing like absurdist comedy yeah, sketches like, or it's not even absurdist comedy sketches they're doing they try to do these sketches that just they have a weird premise they say weird things and all of a sudden that payoff is just something totally different no. Like it's just let's go A B Batman symbol. Right. Like, none of it makes sense. And they had a video uh, recently. Uh, they do a thing called Your Show, which is like kind of the weekly. We're going to talk to our patrons type thing. They'll do a sketch at the start, or they'll set up a sketch at the start. They'll answer a couple of, couple of questions from the Patreon. They'll do another part of the sketch in the middle, uh, end with the final part of the sketch, and then lead on to some final comments. But the one that they did recently was all about first aid training. Right. And then, because uh, Joe eats a peanut, and then he starts choking on the peanut, and everyone around them's just going, "Joe, are you choking? Joe, are you choking?" Well, that's funny, or it may be funny to some people. I'm just sitting there going, "That is not funny." <laughs> He's choking on a peanut. It is a joke though about first aid, where you're like, when uh, when you ever see the, uh... what the fuck was that? I have no idea. It sounded like a pig getting run over <laughs> by like a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like Dante's bike from DMC Five with the chainsaw wheels just <laughs> like, right over the thing. But the, 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 the are you choking thing is a good joke about uh, first aid care because yeah. you do get to see that little card of if you find someone who you think is choking, you must first ask, are, are you, you choking? choking? If, if the person's like going blue in the face and just like veins pulsing yeah. everywhere, I'm going to skip that step. I'm going to yeah, be honest I'm gonna, with you. I'm going to jump straight to action. But they, you they, get in the backpack. I'm yeah. sorry. They, they, yeah, they just keep it going. They keep beating this idea. They start arguing amongst themselves. It's like, no, it's CCR. No, it's like... CCCR no that's Russian that's like CCCP no you mean CPR it goes on for way too long and it's just this isn't something you should be joking about (laughs) making light about first aid training it's not funny like you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel here you can do it but I don't think the absurdist kind of way is the right way to go about it and then they end the video with all three of them eating a peanut and falling on the ground that was really the, the last pass the one person that I know would have stopped it would have been Elliot Morgan yeah. he would have been like no that's not funny but he's not in the video at all you can tell that like, it's weird to say because he's the kind of he's the more he has this weird up he's more kind of he's the more straighter list out of them but more often than not he does the weirder bit the weirder bits in the video mm-hmm. but you can, it's weird to say that he's the linchpin that keeps things sane because hmm. all these other three people I mean Steve Sargoza walked into set one day wearing a an, an American flag vest, his underwear and a chicken mask and it's like hitting himself in the belly. No, it wasn't a, one of their videos. It was on a smosh video, like make me laugh thing. And he just walks in and starts hitting himself in the belly with a rubber chicken. Right. And like, you'd, you'd expect him to be like weirding out there and then there's Lee Newton who will just do anything that anyone else has done and not make it funny and just be a 
pain in the ass. And then Joe Beretta, who will literally throw himself against the wall neck first to try and get laughs. Huh. Like you expect him to do something weird, but maybe you expect the, the father of two to be the kind of or the voice, voice of reason. reason. Yeah. But no, he's fucking insane. Like apparently, it's really bad. So I, it's getting to a weird point where I've watched these people for so long in SourceFed, where they've had this kind of box to play in. Yeah. And guys like Phil DeFranco and Discovery and Group Nine Media have said, right, do this, but we're going to put a block on you know anything that you do outside this. And they've acted within that, and it's really kind of shown where they stand as sort of comedians and content creators, even though I fucking hate the word content, but uh, it's shown that they're skilled there because they've taken the tools from within that box and they've made something really cool out of it. Now they're doing their own thing and they're out in the big wide and they're kind of just going, let's just fucking do whatever we want. And it's bad. <laughs> it's getting bad. Yeah. There's two things that kind of hit me there and it's, it's the freedom of choice is maddening. Yeah, if I you think that's definitely an, where, they've, yeah. where they're kind of struggling. If you get given a near-infinite potential play box and told, what do you want to do? I mean, you got to go back to like the childhood man. What does the kid do? You get a whole like sandcastle. Like, yeah. What do you want to do? And they just go, uh... You go back to the kid from last week's episode who just went in, what was his uncle or his big cousin's room and just like, throwing fucking Gundams about the place. Yeah, that is uh, like, that's the perfect example of like, what do you do? I don't know. I, I'm not going to do things properly. I'll just do what I think works and mm. just kind of go from there. That and the need to stand out from the competition. Yeah. When you're at their level, when you have a Patreon, when you have a following, when you have like a fan base that's pre-built in because of your previous work, there's like a, a weird kind of expectation on that. And But there's also the kind of weird expectation of like what's come before, but the need to grow beyond that hmm. is super important for these yeah. companies. They need to break out from that, that mold that you're putting because otherwise you never really get work apart from that one piece of work. You're yeah. continually stuck in that one play box. Yeah. And all it takes is like one little shift of yeah. the public conscience for you to become irrelevant again. Yeah. So I, I, I totally get it. But at the same time, it's just, I think they could be doing better. Yeah. But maybe they need to, I get it's probably a bit of a cop out for quite a few pe- uh, people or quite a few places and sort of production companies. But I think you just need to play it safe for a bit until you've earned enough armor to then go out and go, I'm going to try something just completely off the wall. Yeah. And I think, to an extent, I think they might have had that, but over the past couple of weeks, I think they've just they've definitely lost a bit with just poor videos. Yeah. But everyone hits a slump. I'm yeah. hoping this is just a slump. I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt. And creative burnout would be another issue. Yeah, well. creative burnout is always a massive thing. I think we'd all have to give it a go and try and make our own YouTube channel and doing the whole thing of like making videos and making so much content yeah. and entertaining people would be interesting challenge. For some people, that's what they want to do. Hmm. I guarantee though, like 90% of us would go out there and make that first batch of like 10, 12 videos and then uh, I guess yeah, the I do the same thing in. but yeah. different kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I think there'd be a lot of like people would hit that slump and when you consider that they've been with SourceFed and stuff, I mean that kind of gives them a date of six years maybe at this point. I mean, yeah, I think it was five that. years for SourceFed. I think SourceFed Nerd was three. Yeah. So, yeah, they didn't run for long. I think they may have ran six years at the absolute most before they pulled the pin. But if somebody would say, hey, I made, like, almost daily content for six years. Yeah, seven videos a day, I think they were up to. Yeah. Because it was four, what they called the white wall videos with the news. Then there was three, maybe the source-fed plays where they played some video games. Then they did a table talk. And then they did another thing on top of that. Yeah, like, at a certain point, it's okay to just turn around and say... I don't have an endless supply of creativity. Yeah. At that point, you need to start thinking about like a strategy for develop and grow. And does that mean somebody steps away? Does that mean somebody gets more involved? Does yeah. it mean or does that things? mean we just expand, like bring new people in? Yeah. 
and having to try and you're probably having that conversation at the same time as you realize SourceFed is being shut down yeah and you have to start your own thing so then do you try and do something new or do you try and stick with what you know how do yeah. you try and balance all that because it's going to be it's got to be fucking bedlam yeah it's got to be a nightmare yeah but uh, personally I just, I'm not enjoying it just now but I'm hoping it does I'm willing to I'm willing to sit on my side of the fence still very much enjoying previous content that they've put out but I, I think it just needs you to you can feel yourself looking at that fence and being like I could maybe sit up there for a while yeah I could, I could sit on the fence for a bit but then where I'm thinking just now is just have I been with these guys enough to see when it's been great, when it's been good, and just when it's been bad to know that they're continuing in that direction of it being yeah. just getting progressively worse to just think I'm going to jump right over that fence. I'm going to go the different, <laughs> going to go a different way. I'm going to eat myself. <laughs> I'm just going to hey, yep. Actually, I got another note of a, a birthday. I, I saw one as well on uh, Reddit when I was just browsing before we started the podcast. Uh, Gundam is 40 years old. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. I mean, Batman I, is 80. Batman is 80. And in t- he's just you for some new adventures, isn't he, Dom? Yeah, he is, but yeah. uh, your point first. No, <laughs> or was that just the whole Gundam is for? It was that, and I also uh, Cowboy Bebop is 21. Like, damn, I mean, yeah. sounds about right, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, to be fair, 21 years old and probably one of the best animes in existence. It's yeah. pretty fucking good. How are you feeling about the live action stuff? It's the fact that John Cho from Harold and Kumar yeah. is the lead for playing Spike Spiegel. I t- see, when people seem to have like, a real bugbear about that, and I'm like... But let's just give him the shot. I mean, no, I'm I'm okay with it. I mean, personally, yeah. I think he could pull off the cool, like nature yeah. of Spike Spiegel. I think it could be cool. I, he'd do a better job than Keanu Reeves. And the thing is, he, is, think, he is an actor. Like, yeah, and as much as like, oh, the last thing we saw him in was Harold and Kumar, and then he was kind of there in some of the Star Trek. Yeah, then he was Sulu. Yeah, I. But I'm pretty sure he could give it a go. Yeah, like, you know, like, just let Mate, him have his chance. Anybody that says, oh, he's going to suck at that, just Heath Ledger as the Joker, Anne Hathaway as Catwoman. Like it's it worked you fucking tremendously. <laughs> you laughed at it. Then we got the Joker and the Dark Knight. Yeah. Then everyone shut the fuck up. Yeah. So yeah, give John Cho a chance. I'm okay, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Although I did enjoy. I, I'm I still as long as he works with uh, Steve Bloom, the voice yeah. actor, I get the voice right. I'm cool. And Steve Bloom actually gave him the, the nod as yeah. well on Twitter. Just say, hey, give the boy a chance. Like yeah. seriously, behave I'm, yourselves. I, since um, although I did see there was an article, and I'm trying to tell if it's fake or not. I didn't go back mm. and do my research. There was somebody saying that they were going to cast Vi as a husky. <laughs> At which point, there is a... You mean Ayn? Ayn, sorry. Zvi is the kind of parody character from Ruby. Yeah. Because they were, oh, we want to give like the, the uh, Xiaolong family a dog. And, <laughs> so call it yeah, We'll cool. give her a corgi. We can call it Zvi because they're all Kaiba Bebop fans. Yeah. Because they're all anime inspired. But they're like, yeah, let's, uh, let's call it. Well, we're going to put Ayn as uh, a husky. And I was like, At that point, we are legally allowed to riot. I'm sorry, yeah. but it's it's a corgi. Yeah, we ain't I, accepting that. Yeah, I, I'd I'd be okay either way. I mean, I like I like huskies. I mean, I, when I got off the bus to come and record, I did get waylaid for a couple of minutes by a, a husky pup that like ran over to me. Yeah, and I oh, well, I guess I'm gonna be stuck here for a little bit. Just like, oh, you you're adorable with your eyes, two different colors. Yeah, beautiful little bastards. Oh, they're ridiculous. Very affectionate. Yeah, very smart dogs. Once you get past that six month, seven month year old, a seven month old thing they just start going all derpy things yeah. yeah we're just oh we're intelligent dogs we're going to stop headbutting the wall repeatedly and chewing everything inside the chewing thing if that doesn't stop can get bad though yeah that can just eat everything i've heard that it can go through a chain link fence they wow. can bend like the the bite compression forces enough to like just kind of shift things around Jesus. and uh, give them a gap in a chain link fence and get them out god damn that's a terrifying animal yeah. beautiful though yeah really cool dog 
uh, I had a point uh, since what movie was it? Like even not even since the Joker, but there was a movie that came out, and someone that you wouldn't expect to be in that role played that role and just fucking knocked it out of the park. Oh, right, fucking Kelsey Grammer as Beast. Like, oh, that was so much fun. Uh, since that, people were just like Kelsey Grammer as Beast. Are you fucking wrong? No, dude, that is what turned out to be what people thought was going to be unusual casting turned out to be perfect casting. Yeah, like if you watch the X Men cartoon from the nineties. You're used to this very intelligent, erudite, like well-spoken, uh, sort of giant blue, like rage monster. Yeah, that's kind of the joke for Beast. Yeah, then you watch him in X Men Three. He's the best part of that movie. I'm like, dude, how how does this work? Yeah, it's great. How is Fraser Crane the best character in this movie? <laughs> but yeah, I will never. Like, as long as they pull it off, I'm fine with it. I uh, what was the other thing? But if we're going to talk about Batman. Oh yeah, it was the Batman. I was going to try yeah. and redirect you towards your yeah. your Batman trivia that you threw at me before yeah. we started. Um, the the latest animated Batman adventure is going to be Batman versus the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, off of the back of a fairly successful comic run that was obviously Batman and the Ninja Turtles. This is weird considering that I'm saying it, but I kind of think we need to put a pin in Batman right now. Yeah, because Marvel have all these different a. Uh, like sort of projects in the air because you've got Captain Marvel who's hitting it big just now people are fucking loving that movie Yeah. Uh, obviously there's other people that hate it because of things that Brie Larson said but who gives a fuck Captain Marvel is a very fun movie it just it's great go and watch it we uh, talked you, about it last episode yeah. you've got Avengers Endgame which people are looking forward to uh, I actually booked tickets for me and my two older brothers by the skin of our teeth we got good seats all the seats fucking sold out within hours Nice. people are so fucking uh, psyched to see this movie and you've got You've got like other solo movies that are going to come out. You're getting the solo Bla- uh, Black Widow. You're getting the solo Hawkeye. You're getting solo different movies. And you've got other TV shows like Cloak and Dagger, Agency Shield. They're just taking off. And you think it's going to slow down, but I just saw something about uh, Angelina Jolie is being cast in something. Oh, for she that. is. Uh, I think her character's name might actually be Cersei. And she's playing a character in a thing called The Eternals. Yeah. Which is. To my mind, it's just basically a group of eternal Marvel characters. That's yeah. what uh, Luke Evans is going to be in there. Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things is going to be in there. Camille Nanjiani is apparently involved as well. All in for that. I fucking love Camille Nanjiani. Him yeah. and his wife, I just, I could watch the two of them just read the phone book. Yeah. They're just one, two of the funniest people on the planet. But it, it, Marvel are kind of going from strength to strength, trying different things. Then they're trying the, there's the runaways with like the group of younger superheroes. Uh, Milana Weintraub, she plays Squirrel Girl in that. They're doing all this different thing. Whereas if you go to DC, they have Shazam, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman doing gangbusters. Yeah. Like, they're doing well right now in the movie. Then they have nothing else in terms of games, comic books. Like DC comic books are just wiping their dick all over Marvel. Marvel are just, they're trying too hard. Whereas DC yeah. are just going, we're doing what we're always doing, and our books are selling. Yeah. But when it comes to animated uh, movies and, and even uh, like animated movies and cartoons, they're just going, no, we're sticking with Batman. Batman works. But Batman has become, again, this is hard for me to say, Batman has become so oversaturated. I think we just need to stop Batman media for a couple of years and just let... Yeah. Let it breathe. Yeah, let the best thing that happened to one of the uh, any run of Batman is just when Batman disappears for a while. Then explain what the vacuum happened. Maybe that, something like that needs to happen in real life. Just Batman needs to disappear for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Then relaunch Batman. Yeah. After Detective Comics 1000, which is basically Batman's series now, like good idea just give it a break let it breathe for a couple of years let yeah. Dark Detective Comics 1000 settle in people's brains 
then go, oh, cool, what's the next thing? And just nothing. Yeah. Leave them wanting more. And I, I th- the only thing that's really kind of interested me from the, the DC universe is that Whacking Phoenix Joker movie. And oh, yeah. Did, because did that you looks watch the trailer? so different. Um, did you watch the trailer? No, I've only seen the stills. The trailer is it's weird. And it, I think Joaquin Phoenix's performance is going to be the thing that sells that movie more to most people. I mean, just from the trailer alone, alone I am sold. Yeah. Because not many people notice this, but Robert De Niro's in there. All right. He plays, I think, uh, just from what I've seen, he plays some kind of MC promoter type thing. Right. And I think that's how maybe somehow, uh, I think the character, or the the name that they've given the Joker is Arthur Miller. Interesting. Arthur something. Right. I, I definitely heard the, heard the name Arthur, but personally, I don't like Joker properties if they tell you his name. I'd yeah. rather them just pull a layer cake and not tell you the main character's name. Well, you could say that's the name he's giving the agency. Yeah, could be. And then just not come up, not you know, address the issue that when somebody says, but you're Arthur Miller, says, or am I? Or am I? Or is that just an alias? Yeah, they could yeah. pull that. And if they do that, that'd be pretty cool. But Which is good because that's the level the Joker kind of works on. Like yeah. he would give you a fake name to get a job to do something, to do something else, to yeah. then ultimately fuck everyone run over. So. One thing I have noticed though, this, is, this isn't this is set in this traditional Marvel, it, Marvel universe, a DC universe. This is set in the dark DC universe or the Elseworlds uh, right. continuity. So this is just, it's not main continuity, this is side shit. Yeah. To me, the way that the Joker is dressed and the Batmobile that they've shown to be in this in the movie, this looks to be set in the 1966 Adam West Batman uh, universe. I was really hoping you were about to say this is going to be set in the Adam West version. It, it seems to be. It looks like it's in that universe because he's wearing the Cesar Romero pink uh, tuxedo, or the pink suit with the white, the yellow shirt, and mm. they've got the old style Batmobile, like right. the old Adam West Burt Ward Bill Dozier Batmobile. Yeah. It's the thing. If this is set in that universe and we get to see some Adam West type Batman in here, yeah. I'm fucking all for that. Even just like the Adam West style Batman dealing with the idea that the Joker is like a fucking murderer. <laughs> yeah, deal, like, show us. Take the weird, goofy, campy setting of Adam West Batman and then throw in a genuine serial killer. Yeah, it's a genuine psychopath. Yeah. But I, I'm all for this movie. I'm always, I've always looked for a movie that just kind of explores the Joker without revealing too much. Yeah. Something that shows... Like maybe shows a bit of this is his transition, but it doesn't show you. Like this is his rise. Like this yeah. is how he started. He just he broke. Like don't go too much in it. Like don't go into his kid, like his childhood. Don't yeah. give us, we just want to see the man that he was briefly become the man that he will be in the Joker, and he's just unhinged and you know yeah. just wild. Shows the depth vicious. of his madness and be like, hmm, isn't this surprisingly yeah. relatable? Yeah, show uh, show us that the reason why Batman is so skilled in the way that he is is because modern like, police can't deal with someone like the Joker. You yeah. need someone like the Batman who has no jurisdiction, who has, well, one limit, but no real limits. He will go as far as he needs to go to stop someone. Show him that he needs, like, that's the only other counterpoint to someone yeah. like the Joker is someone like Batman. Just had a weird thought about okay. your topic. Batman's one limit is he won't kill people. Yeah. Would you put them in a wheelchair? Oh, he has put people in a wheelchair. Okay. Uh, the Dark Knight Returns, which is the whole uh, Batman essentially cleans up all crime in Gotham. He puts all the ma- all the main bad guys in Arkham Asylum. They yeah. start getting rehabilitated and it actually works. It sticks. Uh, so then Batman retires. He basically just becomes Bruce Wayne. But mm-hmm. the cowl is hung up. But the whole point of the Batman mythos is that Batman is the real person. Bruce Wayne is the mask that he puts on. He He's so enamoured and so entrenched in this idea of yeah. being Batman that Bruce Wayne has become the mask. 
So obviously he can't stick the retirement. He notices that certain gangs are rising up in place of the other criminals. He comes back, he puts the cape and cowl on again, and he starts cleaning up crime in Gotham. But obviously he's 65 years old at the time. No matter how strong and fit he was now, or was back then and is now, younger is still going to beat him because they're going to fight dirtier, they're going to have more stamina. Yeah. So he he basically he gets ambushed by a group of criminals. He basically just kicks one straight in the hip and paralyzes him. All right. And all he says to one of the cops is, he'll walk again eventually and just zip planes away. So yeah, Batman. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Batman has paralyzed people. Batman has made people brain dead, from what I remember. He punches when he's. I think well, there's a few the, scenes. I think it was, was it Batman v Superman or Justice League at some point where he just decks a guy and he hits him like seventeen times in the face. Oh, there's a bit in there, Batman v Superman yeah, where he uses one. the uh, the grapnel gun, fires it behind them, hooks into a crate, flips the crate over his head and hits the guy in the temple with the crate. Then the guy's head hits off the wall, but the brick wall behind them. Yeah. You see blood splatter. Well, I'm just thinking the one. It was something about like he cleans out where I was like, oh, there's like twenty guys. Yeah. Well, guess I'm gonna just have to deal with this. He jumped. He just started wailing on people. Yeah, and oh, he's sort of beating people up. Yeah, and I, I remember somebody being like, there's one guy he just hits a lot in the face. Yeah, and it's the same in one of the, I think it's the Batman Venom comic book. Mm-hmm. It's way after he fights Bane and he gets his back broken. This is him sort of cleaning up crime in Gotham again. But he realises that he's getting older, he's getting slower, he needs something to kind of bring him back up to speed. So he starts taking a pill forms of Venom. And as he becomes stronger and he, he's able to deal with more, he starts becoming more unhinged and he just starts wailing on someone. Like there's yeah. a, a panel and you just see the hand moving. And then one of the little uh, sort of speech bubbles above it saying, I must have hit him about 18 times in the head. I'm pretty sure that guy can't even eat without a tube now. Fucking hell. Because it's all, I think, if I remember right, the whole the whole crux behind Batman Venom is it's all, this is my worst night and it's all a retelling. Right. I might be confusing it with another story, but I can't. I don't have. I can't really be bothered looking up. To, <laughs> I can't be bothered checking my sources just now. But yeah, so this is the worst night. This is where I realised that I had to come off this stuff. It's almost kind of like a rehab story. Yeah, like I need to come off this, and he's basically kind of recounting his tale to try and figure out what the next step is. I was just wondering if if there was ever a point where Batman was looking at somebody who has been like a recurring serial issue, and just thought, this guy, every time he can run away, he runs away. What if he couldn't run away? Oh, what if also, I just like in like snap the spinal cord or hit him with something that just destroys his you know, spinal tissue or something like that? Like, would he do that? He did also leave. He's also left several people to die. So technically, you could count that as he's killed someone. He right. did find the person that killed Dick Grayson, broke his legs, and he's given them the whole speech like, "You're Batman. You don't kill." And he says, "Yeah, I don't kill, but I'm not going to find your hospital." And just walks away. <laughs> and he's saying. You killed me, you killed me. And it, 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 as he's doing the sort of fade out, the last line of the, the comic reads, you killed yourself when you killed Dick Grayson. And he just kind of ziplines back over. It's like, that's pretty cool. But it shows you that there are certain lines that Batman says he's not going to cross, but he doesn't cross them on a technicality. <laughs> like, he's probably killed quite a few people. And I don't agree with Zack Snyder's position that, oh, if you don't think Batman's a killer, you're deluded. Batman doesn't kill. Yeah. That's that, When Batman comics are good is when you get the righteous Batman. Yeah. In I my think opinion. what Zach says pointing out though is that he doesn't read Batman, Batman comics. Has killed Batman and also used guns in the fifties, but he stopped that because the creator was like, mm, "This seems a little edge. This seems a little yeah. This, seems, this isn't the message I'm trying to put across. Like, yeah, this is the antithesis of why I made Batman. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is why we solve our problems with words. Uh, <laughs> when he looked at that issue, he just I don't remember him just saying, "Look, I just this isn't who I want Batman to be," yeah. and that's why. Like, now, the moral line is, I do not kill people unless I, you know, technically left you to die. Yeah, unless unless there was something that I just, yeah. 
I didn't save you in time or you bled out while I was expositing. Oh no, your legs are broken and the fire is coming so quickly and I have to save the other people and yeah. oh, I'm just going to have to leave <laughs> no, you. you killed one of my kids. <laughs> Isn't that a shame? I have seven. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think it might be time to just pin in Batman. Let him breathe for a little bit. Let let, let Batman breathe, be Bruce Wayne and let him, you know, just have, a, have some time off. Well, at least Zack Snyder might be leaving him alone. Because he's going to do an Army of the Dead project. Army of the Dead? So it's like Of the Dead, like the Romero of the Dead. All right, yeah. But uh, he's doing an Army of the Dead movie with Dave Bautista. Okay. Which I'm like, ooh, go I on. I could be very good. Uh, so zombie quarantine in place and a team of mercenaries decide to go out to do like a mission. I think they're going to uh, steal something. I think he said it was like a heist movie in the oh, zombie right. apocalypse. I'm like, interesting. Ent- yeah, it's... It's intriguing enough to make me watch, but it'll always make me remember the last 300 movie. I don't think Zack Snyder had much to do with that, but still, it had all his he earmarks. He was not in. involved in that at all. All right. Well, he was exec- that was just a he, bad movie. He was executive producing. I don't think he was involved at all. Yeah, you find when people get executive producer money, that's just, you made the first one, we're going to consult with you for the second one, and we're going to give you name above the door money. Yes. But it's what they did with Tim Burton in the last two Batman movies. He didn't want anything to do with them because the studio stepped in and said, this is dark as hell. We need to line it up a bit. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. He's, uh, but that's, that was him because, I mean, that makes David Batista, actually, I don't think we've talked this because, uh, I don't think we talked about James Gunn coming back. Yeah, James Gunn. He's coming uh, back for Guardians. Guardians 3, but yeah. he is fulfilling his contract with DC and he's doing Suicide Squad 2 first. But it's going to be a remake. It's going to be a remake. Yeah, they're going to reboot the whole thing apparently. Okay. Like he's not sequeling the Suicide Squad that came out Two, a year ago two years ago 2017 it was 2017 yeah we looked at this uh yesterday and um it just so happens that his is apparently going to be a complete retooling of it oh that's uh pretty telling um i don't know how, i mean it, will smith will probably never step into the role of uh, oh he's never going to be dead shot again he's like nope not no. doing that again Absolutely. um I, I don't blame him it, suicide squad was a horrible movie it was just a mess from start to finish it made me hate Margot Robbie. Yeah, Harley Quinn is the probably one of the worst parts of that movie. It's on Netflix, and I'm tempted to watch it just for the trash. Oh, it's pretty bad. Yeah, the worst part, my least favorite part of that movie, is when Harley Quinn gets introduced to Task Force X or the Suicide Squad, and she's just going to go, "What? I should kill everybody here and walk out the front door." I'm sorry, that was the voices in my head, and I literally just went, "Ooh." Oh, you 13-year-old with a Tumblr account. Oh, oh you edgelord. Uh, yeah, I think that actually, like, when you watch, like, if you have, like, the icon hovering or you, like, have it, like, not selected, but you yeah, hover you, over yeah. on Netflix, I think that's the part that's of the, the place. That's the bit of the place, yeah. I'm like, oh, wow. Bad. My brother was like, oh, I like, should we watch it? And I'm like, did you just see that? Yeah. Did you just see what happened on screen? <laughs> yeah, not good. But the, the director, David Ayer, I think, uh, David Ayer, I think his name is, uh, he basically said that's not the movie that I put or that's not the movie that I made Warner Brothers editor stepped in and cut the living shit out of that a substantial part of his movie had the Joker in it so yeah, when you shot apparently 90 minutes because Jared Leto was like oh we shot 90 yeah. minutes of good Joker footage that could have been like its own Joker movie I'm like but you were making a Suicide Squad movie where the Joker is the objective like, if that, unless I'm misunderstanding what the plot of that movie was supposed to be, but I thought it was a suicide squad. Originally, the plot, of, the, Joker. Uh, the original plot of the movie was a Joker. Joker had kidnapped or had something in his possession. I can't really remember. Uh, the Joker, uh, the Joker was the main focal point in the movie. He, like, he had something that could that Waller wanted, or he had something that could basically level an entire city. So, yeah. 
yeah. military weren't going to step in because they, they didn't want people get put at risk. So they thought, oh, let's use supervillains that we just plant mini C4s in their necks. Yeah. But that was... I, I'll probably go around and watch it. So ne- next week, Gary, we go, wow, fucking <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, what was my next... I mean, as good looking as Margot Robbie is, and make no mistakes about it, Margot Robbie is a good looking human being. Yeah. When you see her trashy in Suicide Squad, just kind of thinking, go home and talk to your father. <laughs> go have a conversation <laughs> with your parents. You're making the wrong choices. Yeah. You forget that this is a movie. You just, oh, you made these choices. You, st- you start <laughs> you, feeling bad for her. You just feel bad for Margot Robbie. <laughs> yeah. You go beyond the character. Yeah, you start wondering, just, why did you make this choice? I wanted to ask you about a trailer recently dropped. Yeah. Borderlands 3. Yes, hundred percent on board. My PP is hard. <laughs> my shamelessly, P- my, my PP is my, hard. My PP is shamelessly hard. <laughs> Guns with robot legs. I am all down for that crazy bullshit. <laughs> I've already picked my character. Yeah, I'm, I'm playing the the six armed siren. Yeah, because I, I I realized I've pl- I've always played sirens in Borderlands One. I played uh, Lilith. Borderlands Two. I played Maya. I've always played sirens. Yeah, because especially in a Borderlands Two, I remember uh, one of your final abilities that you could unlock was you just fired a an, a Hadouken of a uh, slag energy. Yeah, that just started sapping energy off other people. It was great. I, I I'm a really boring person. I play uh, soldier typically. Oh, the soldiers were great in that yeah. game. Like, make no mistake, they may be soldier the boring one character. Could have beaten the fuck out of soldier two. Oh yeah, Roland could have kicked the shit out of whatever the fuck the character yeah. could, two was called Emmerich. Yeah, I can't remember. But I, I played I played the soldier in the second one to honor Roland from the first one. Yeah, especially or, when it shows up that Roland's actually a general now. Like yeah. he's he's part he's still part of the storyline. Oh, was. Mm, yeah, mm. Oh, I didn't want to bring it up, but okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. I but, think the only character that I didn't try playing was a uh, brick, because I thought that's the kind of character that I usually go for, just the dumb brute. Yeah. But, I, the, the weird thing about those games was it, when they relaunched, we had so much time that I'm pretty sure we played through every iteration of it. Yeah, as well as not only playing it solo with every iteration, but playing a lot of iterations of like, I'll pick one thing and then either like somebody I'm playing with through Xbox Live like you or the Couch or, Co-op. Yeah, like Couch Co-op was phenomenal. In yeah, that which game. is back for the re-release on Borderlands One. Oh, sweet mummy, daddy! Borderlands One Game of the Year edition is upscaled to have Borderlands Two HD style graphics and HUDs and menus and all these new guns put in. So it's basically Borderlands One but with Borderlands Two everything else. Nice. And it's something like £15. Yeah. Game of the Year edition, all the DLC. Although I will say, I went back and played it. I think it came up with, uh, like, the actual original um, Borderlands came up with, like, Games with Gold mm. uh, through Xbox. Uh, there's no sprint button in that game. Yeah, it's weird. It's There's some things that I really need to, ha- like, you need to have a sit-down conversation and say, so things have changed. Uh, games are faster now. <laughs> yeah. We, we appreciate the, the authenticity, but no <laughs> stop it we need a run button I, I i just can't wa- i think it was one point where i was walking towards something and i was stuck in like boggy terrain i think it was just like deep snow or something mm. during one of the early levels and i was walking forward and i was thinking to myself i can't get any slower <laughs> this is not okay like if i get any slower like just bunny hop happen? your way through yeah. it it doesn't really work yeah oh i, I had a game of uh, apex legends where i went down was revived and um the guy picks me up after a firefight and I patch myself, heal up my shields and then start trying to move. I was moving at the pace you move at when you're crawling, when you're bleeding out on the ground. <laughs> oh, fuck. I, although I found I, could, I couldn't I could sprint, couldn't crouch, couldn't do anything. I could, however, punch. 
So that was my sprint button. I would just punch because it, <laughs> it, it moved you, you forward a little bit more and just a little bit more speed. So um, we actually came second in that game. Not Don't bad. ask how we did that, but we came second out of the the entire squad. So that was uh, that was pretty good. But yeah, the like treacle movement of Borderlands. If that comes back, I'm going to be. They had really to do a sprint button in two. I'm pretty sure. Did they? Yeah, Ooh. I'm pretty sure there's been a sprint button in two because I remember vividly fighting the the warrior at the end of Borderlands 2 and having to run away from the lava because it jumps onto a certain part and just sends it these lava waves. Mm-hmm. I remember as my siren booking it across the high ground because it's just yeah. lava waves coming at me. Yeah. I uh, I think we're going to be giving that one a go. And yeah. If they're majorly psyched for Borderlands 3. I'm not joking. When I, I started playing Borderlands 1, I was thinking to myself, I really am, I cannot play this game without a sprint button. If there's a sprint button in 2, I am going to be playing that. Like yeah, I definitely think it. there's a one and two because they brought out the handsome collection, which yeah. is Borderlands two with all the DLC, and Borderlands the pre sequel, which I have tried so many times to play. Yeah, but it's just it's Borderlands two all over again. Like I already played the shit out of Borderlands two. I think when I played Borderlands the pre sequel, I was so burnt out on two, yeah, that I couldn't really do another Borderlands. So if I went back to it now without anything else to play, I probably could sit and play through it. But to me, it just give the pre-sequel a miss I think you could and just realistically jump straight into 3 and you'd be fine yeah I I do think though that gaming has changed a lot since these games came out oh yeah Um, I mean these were all Xbox 360 like staple titles and since the the one came out or the next generation of consoles hmm. I really am worried that they're going to release something that's a bit either too classic or too like try hard like they're going to hmm. try to keep up with the times a bit too much yeah. I don't think I mean, I'm hoping they can get it right but at the same time this is uh, Gearbox software yeah not exactly the greatest studio in the world uh, I don't know if you heard about Randy Pitchford no the CEO of Gearbox uh, openly just didn't or he may have left a pen drive with uh, not only company secrets on it uh, but maybe some child pornography on there oh fucking hell and it's an allegation and I don't think it's been verified yet and I definitely think it's gone through the courts but this was an allegation that came up like way earlier, about six months ago, that uh, he left a pen drive with some uh, revealing uh, context. I think people were trying to sue him for a breach contract. I think it was like a former lawyer for Gearbox, and right. um, one of the like like the top lawyer for Gearbox software mm. was saying, uh, "Randy's done some shit. <laughs> Randy has been up to some nasty stuff." And it may involve child pornography. I can't say. And you're like, yes. but you kind of just did. Yeah, you just admit. You almost yeah. kind of admitted it. That, that might be considered slander if you're not correct. So please be very correct about that. So yeah, I was um, a bit hesitant to see what they do because I just... It's weird, I don't have a lot of faith in game companies anymore. There's like a few that I'd maybe trust. I mean, FromSoft are one. Yeah, FromSoft, they're kind of killing it. Uh, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice apparently is a great game. I haven't started yet, even despite being a massive Dark Souls fan. Do you have it? Is that on Xbox? It's supposed to be out some. I think it's out. Yeah, it's out. It's out now, but I'm not sure if that's a PlayStation exclusive. If it's not, I think it should be on PC. It probably would be on PC. Yeah, they're but pretty good about that. From what I've heard, it's just a really good game. It feels it's got the Dark Souls challenge, but it feels totally different from other games. Yeah, which I suppose is what you want. But at the same time, um, it actually just reminded me of an article that I think might have been on Kotaku. I can't really remember. Again, not in the mood to cite my sources. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the the, uh, the author of this article, ba- the, the whole, uh, the author, author of the article basically boils it down to, this game is too hard 
and it needs to respect its players by putting in an easy mode. Yeah. I shit you not, a day later, he writes a rebuttal to this article saying, no, this game does respect its players. It does not need an easy mode. This game is fine the way it is. Why did you write and publish the first article then if you're only... If you're okay later. with the game, like, it, it, it makes no sense. Like, uh, and the uh, whole point of FromSoft games is they are challenging. Yeah, They test your reflexes in ways that other games don't. And that's why people yeah. buy into them. I mean, that's probably why you've bought into them yeah. for quite a while. I love the still fact do. I like the fact that when I play a Dark Souls game, I'm probably going to get my ass handed to me. And if I'm not on point for like 10 hours solid for a whole session, I am going to continually get my ass handed to me. The only thing is, though, when it comes to the the easy mode, is that I don't mind the idea of easy modes in games, and especially in FromSoft games, which are deliberately hard. Yeah. And I don't mind them because of the issue of accessibility. Yeah. What about a disabled player? What about somebody who doesn't have good like physical yeah. control over themselves? Like somebody who needs what somebody like, who needs an adaptive controller. Yeah, like Microsoft released an adaptive controller because yeah. there are gamers out there who can't hold a normal controller. Mm-hmm. They just can't and if we can accommodate those people so that they can enjoy gaming great Great, because i enjoy gaming and i enjoy it because it's a release and it's an escape and i have a pretty good life so if i have a pretty good life and want an escape what about somebody who is suffering so when it comes to we can't give people an easy mode because that makes the game less fun for me you know the hard mode is still there right yeah that's always been my stance because when i first read it i thought Easy mode, fair enough. People are going to get annoyed because yeah. the whole the whole point of a Dark Souls from soft game is that it's the challenge. It is the probably one of the more difficult games that you're ever going to play. This whole Soulsborne series, as it's been dubbed, is just this is an ultimate test your might type game. For me, I'm always of the the viewpoint. I don't like gatekeeping or, or in any way, shape, or form. You've heard my thoughts on cultural appropriation. I think that's just modern day gatekeeping. Yeah. Uh, if you put, you know. Here is hard mode. That's the only mode you can play. But what if people, like you said, what if there's disabled people? What if there's other people that maybe just don't like hard games that want to play this game that looks good to them? No, they don't get it. they don't get easy mode. They get hard mode, and that's it. No, like put the easy mode in. Yeah. If there's anything that gets you know people to buy into this game, which is why I will never. Well, I mean, being a casual fighting game fan, I will never say tell other fighting game fans, no, it's not for you. If you don't get it, you don't get it. Yeah. No, put in easy mode, put in story modes in fighting games just so you can get more people to buy the game. And more people buying the game is never a bad thing. Community, it, yeah. Yeah, it helps, it helps community grow. It brings in sequels. It brings in more content. It, it, it cements this idea that the people that are making this game are making a good game, so they put more in it. Yeah. And then you get a better product at the end of the day. Yeah, and if you feel the need to kind of reinforce your ego with the telling everybody you beat this game, and I would say, oh, like you can then follow. All you have to do is follow it with, yeah, I beat that game on hard mode. Because that's what we did with like the old Call of Duties. There was like the easy, like was it recruit, soldier, veteran, and then it got to like insane, hardened or something like that. Hardened and version stuff like that. It was insane and then hardened. Yeah. Okay, I might be thinking the insane of, thing I think the I'm thinking of the Halo because it went from, you know... No, I think it was like in the Cods scout. as well. All right, cool. yeah. I can't really remember because it's been ages since I played either, but yeah. it was always this thing like, I beat this game, oh, cool. On hard mode, oh, dude, you're such a god. Oh, like, no. <laughs> like that's, the, that's the one that raised everyone. Really? Hmm. The only time I've ever done that is recently when I finished my first ever Resident Evil 2 hardcore mode, a uh, hardcore run. Yeah. And it was a case of, I turned to a friend of mine and I said, I finally finished it. I can't go back to Resident Evil 2 for a while. I think I'm done with that game. Just... <laughs> it, burn me out mentally because Mr. X can just he can go into more areas than he could previously and he's faster oh. it may just be the fact that I wasn't prepared for him as much because yeah. I had little ammunition that I was very reluctant to use 
that was just uh, he's everywhere but yeah I did just that's the only time I ever said that. I finished it in hard mode and now I need therapy <laughs> but if you, if you feel the need to kind of massage your ego with the whole uh, I need the acknowledgement of beating games on hard I mean once you're done seeking for, like mental help I mean just feel free to add in on hard mode yeah like we did back in the day like you don't need to like exclude other people from your community because you want that kind of puritanism of well, we need to keep it hard for the hard players. Yeah, there's a reason why we've evolved past, you know, passwords and old Nintendo hard games like the original Ninja Gaiden and the original Metroid. There's a reason why we don't just make stupidly hard video games anymore. We make them more accessible because people want to play games. Yeah. It's a simple thing. People want that escapism. People want that, you know, that different aspect, that different story to read. It's, it makes sense to try and cater for everybody. Yeah. Which brings me to Anthem. Yeah, I've seen this, I think, I don't know if you're going to talk about this article, but I have seen the article yes. or video, there was the one that Angry Joe did, it's just why Anthem failed, or this is why Anthem failed and people are pissed. Uh, well, I was, I read the very, very long article by uh, Jason Schreier, Jason Schreier, S-C-H-R-E-I-E-R, Jason Schreier, sounds about right, who, um, basically decided to go and interview a bunch of former employees at Bioware and figure out just what was happening like behind the scenes for uh, the Anthem game. And uh, the phrase shit show springs to mind. Oh, oh, actually, I did remember reading about this. Wasn't it four years or something they did nothing? Yeah. The the development cycle of it is supposed to be about seven years long. Mm-hmm. So that's like from concept to publishing. Yeah. For the first almost five, nothing happened. And then when they started turning out like a promo version of mm. the game, it was so bad that uh, like the head of EA that they sent a copy to, um, I'm going to try and find his name, it's somewhere in the like kind of text and notes. Of it. The, the article was so long, my notes on it would constitute an article. <laughs> it's nonsense. <laughs> Pure review. Um, but they, they have like, they, they sent like a, a demo version because apparently it's an EA tradition is that every time a studio is working in a big game, the one that's closest to publication sends out like a copy version uh, to like a bunch of executives so they can play it over the holidays mm. and then they like say oh it's feedback or like give any information or any ideas and it helps kind of or it gives the executives and like the studio leads time to like see what's going on in the company get a bit of taste and a bit of like kind of cross-pollination um this was such a disappointment <laughs> i'm gonna use that term uh, charitably that the director uh, patrick soderland uh, he was so disappointed by the graphics uh, that he flew people from the Bioware studios in Edmonton and Austin to Stockholm, Sweden, probably just to chew them out. <laughs> probably just. You remember Mum from Futurama that would just slap. Our yes. Son? <laughs> just go down the line of about forty different animators and editors, just slap them all in the face. Like, what did you do? What did you do? What did the fuck did you do? You're the head of marketing. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen the game yet. You should have. It's bad. <laughs> do he, uh, your job. It was something along the lines of uh, quality when, assurance. Probably got their asses kicked <laughs> when they when they saw the, the the game graphics. He said, "This is not the game you promised me." Yeah, I can imagine Whoa. similar reaction that, to the or from the guys that made the Sonic 06, Sonic the Hedgehog 06. That game is not finished. And yeah. It looks unfinished. It's horrible. But the uh, the problem seems to be coming from the fact that the the, the game was headed up by the Edmonton studio, mm-hmm. who are the it's, it's OG. Uh, like Bioware this is like the first point of Bioware being a company the only problem is that when they they took the kind of 
the status of being the first Bioware studio and refer to themselves as being the only true Bioware. And the look, only true Bioware. They look down on other Bioware studios. There's your first problem. You've got an elitist group who are actually going to turn out through the whole of this to be pretty fucking incompetent. Uh, so apparently the, one of the other issues was that uh, the project that became Anthem was known as Beyond for ages. And it was going to be Beyond like three before, but three days before they showed up at E3 with like the promo trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then EA changed it. They just said, nah, not feeling it. Should be uh, Anthem. <laughs> let's go back to the, uh, let's go back to the drawing board and the name that like a few days before you go live at E3. <laughs> That's uh, horrible. Let's just change a major part of your entire uh, presentation <laughs> just on a whim. They had t-shirts printed for staff with, members. With Beyond. With Beyond. Like, Beyond was all set <laughs> they just got designed. <laughs> like, this is now Anthem. <laughs> it's just duct tape. Anthem with like Sharpie marker. <laughs> it's like pink Sharpie. Uh, but the the issue seems standable with that that nobody was actually taking the lead on this. Like, the, the lead developers would go into these big uh, conference meetings and say... We talk about the game's concept, its style, what we're doing, like where's it set, and apparently people would argue about this for like four hours and not have an answer. And Jesus, the meeting would end without an answer. People would just leave. What the fuck? Because <laughs> this was meant to be Bioware's next AAA game. This was meant yeah. to be the follow-up to Mass Effect. This was gonna like break them off of Mass Effect and Dragon's Age. And be their next big IP. Yeah, this is going to be the next flagship. Yeah, and it was going to be their first time doing uh, online development. Yeah, because it was meant like, to be yeah. Destiny style, massively yeah. multiplayer online. We'll get to Destiny in a minute. All oh, right. <laughs> Destiny. Has to do with Destiny will become an issue later on. All oh, right. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> the the one of the things is that the, it's Edmonton. There was a studio in uh, I think it was California. Mm. That studio had to be shut down uh, because EA just likes to shut down studios for shits and gales. I know I don't like Jim Sterling, but he has a very good point when you see, like, the list of studios that EA buys, lets them run for a little bit, and then shifts them from a game that is not their style onto an EA game mm. that they just need to have made. Like, we got to do this game, um, and then shuts it down. They have mm. absolutely slaughtered studios over the last couple of years, and it's horrific. Yeah, like, I know they did the same with uh, Westwood, the guys that made Command & Conquer. They bought them out, made them do several... Uh, like non-Command and Conquer games, then just shut them down. Yeah, they are slaughtering studios at an unheard of rate and not seeming to do very much with it. Yeah, um, they didn't do anything with fucking Westwood. Yeah, but they, they had a studio in Austin who had actually previously made Star Wars The Old Republic, so okay. they'd made like an online RPG. Mm-hmm. The guys from Edmonton basically ignored those guys when it came to online functions because wow. they got to see like a preview version and were like, this doesn't work. Mm. You have issues here, here and here. Especially if you've got the guys that made the old... Is it Knights of the Old Republic or The Old Republic? Star Wars The Old Republic. Right. I've it's not heard, KOTOR, that's a different... Yeah, KOTOR, thing. that was... That was... LucasArts and... Someone completely different. I can't remember. Because yeah. I always wanted to play those games. They looked cool, but it was... The, By the time we get to them and we can run them, it's like, oh, you want to play a 20-year-old game. Yeah. Subscription fees. No. Yeah. But yeah, The Old Republic, that game was really good. I, there wasn't a lot of content on it, but from what little content there was on it, it was apparently pretty good. And and in terms of online functionality, the many people that were playing Star Wars online games, they know their shit. Why not listen to those people? That just sounds so like, yeah. anathema to me. You just listen to the guys that know their shit. Yeah. 
like if the Edmonton team is just doing these like uh, Dragon Age and uh, the other one fuck it can't remember what it's called now all I know is you say Bioware Commander Shepard Mass Effect <laughs> Mass Effect yeah Mass Effect, they're yeah. doing that series they have no online yeah, Mass Effect Andromeda kind of killed that Mass Effect Andromeda yeah. was horrible and and really was, fucking bad they, they mentioned that part of that was there was concerns about the studio after Andromeda ate shit basically yeah that's so, I think that was probably because EA were just going, hey guys, let's do it this way. Let's not do it your way. Um, but one of the issues was that um, at some point, EA, like as a company, made this big decision to do uh, all their games on the Frostbite engine. Now, the Frostbite engine is phenomenal. Yeah. It makes amazing games for like Battlefield games mm-hmm. and their yeah. like experience. Yeah, Battlefield those. 1's a beautiful, oh, really so, good like, game. Consistently good. Like yeah. when I, I think first played. Uh, it's weird because the Battlefield games are so badly titled. It was Battlefield 4. Yeah. Playing on those games was fun. It was like nothing I've ever done for it. It showed me the difference in like people saying, oh, Battlefield's so much better than Call of Duty. Because that was the debate back in the mm. day. I saw it and I was like, I see the difference and I dig it. So like I keep an eye on Battlefield releases because they're interesting games. But Did some... you play Battlefield 1? Uh, yes. Battlefield 1 has one of the best... So a intermission or one of the sort of individual missions that you can ever play. You play a carrier pigeon. <laughs> you play speckled Jim. <laughs> you at some point I was expecting Stephen Fry just come and go. You shot my speckled Jim. Get out of here. It's uh, <laughs> it's phenomenal. Like I just love the battlefield. Uh, yeah, like the battlefield series when oh, it when so it so good. When it's it goes hard. The, it's amazing. I remember putting so many hours into Battlefield 1942 and 2142 that came out on the PC. Yeah. Really good games. Really fun multiplayer games only. Yeah. And then, like, Battlefield Bad Company 1 and 2 were so fucking good. They were funny as hell and, like, really good shooters as well. One of the one of the first instances of completely destructible environments, you could just lob a noob tube grenade into somebody's house and blow it up. Yeah. Like, if there's a hut or something where you're basically going through, you can just lob a grenade in there and yeah. it blows up. You see how they... Destruction is pretty cool. But the problem is, it's like a very specifically made engine for the team at DICE. Yeah. And EA saying the company will now make all games on Frostbite because it's graphically amazing. What you can get out of that system is ridiculous. Um, Like photo, like photorealistic faces, the whole lot the lighting effects can look great, but you've got to know how to use it. And unfortunately, nobody at Bioware had ever used a system before. Mm-hmm. So they spent a lot of time trying to get things right. And that is part of where, uh, like, the, the, the demo they sent out, it looked so bad because nobody knew how to use the system. So when uh, they saw this, part of the discussion was, you're going to come here, I'm going to chew you out, and I'm going to send you home with the team people from DICE. And they will get the most out of your system. So a team from DICE went out with, like, their development team and mm-hmm. after having chats and discussions about what was going to happen... They sat and tweaked the game to make it look a lot better. Um, based on what actually came out, it actually looked pretty decent. Um, the problem is though that like this is not just a problem for Bioware. Like they want to make EA sports games in the Frostware engine, and the Frostbite engine. That's not going to work. That's yeah. that's too much detail on characters that you're never really going to see. Yeah. Because obviously in every football game, the camera is just way above the football players. Yeah. So, yeah, it's never going to work. That's just that's like using an RPG round to shoot a fly. Yeah. It's just it's too much. You, you don't need this one. You no. should have a special thing for that and a special thing for this, and it should be totally separate. But they had, um, they actually apparently at one point were pulling people off of Bioware Studios to go deal with an EA FIFA game that was coming out that year. 
Really? And then tried to put them back in, like, immediately. So you've got guys who are, like, cr- like, who jumped in to help with the crush over there, jumped back to help deal with the absolute shit show that's happening in Bioware. Fuck. So this kind of keeps going on. Um, I wonder how, how many, genuinely, just a, just a question, uh, kind of little sidetrack here. How many FIFA games do you think they still have left? I think they get maybe two more and this whole series stops. But we keep saying that. I've, I've been the, calling it, it's been dead since 2012. We're stuck yeah, here watching roughly. these same games come out. From what I've from what I've seen, the past three FIFA games have all just been the exact. In fact, maybe not even three. Let's be generous. Since twenty thirteen, they've all been the exact same fucking game. They made it unique with a single player game, though. It's totally a different game now, Dom. It's <laughs> totally a different game. Yeah, I know. I can't. I can't convince myself with it. Yeah, I mean, when the words left your mouth, you probably weren't too convinced, were you? No. <laughs> I can't even stand up to this argument. The the one thing was that they noticed was that the game for like Beyond or Anthem as it became hmm. was going to be completely different and the original concept for the game sounds really cool. It was going to have not quite like a I'm going to say survival horror but not really horror aspect to it, where you were going to be out on a mission, and then the game's world would flip switches as you were playing, like it would just randomly decide, and now there's a lightning storm, and the lightning would just come down and just wreck shit in front. Oh, so of we'd you. have like an active environment. Yes. Kind of like a kind of like Breath of the Wild did yeah. because they had the they had the active weather system that was just there'd be yeah. you'd, you'd get rain which mean you couldn't climb you'd get yeah. like blistering sun that would mean that you'd start like your body would heat up too much and you'd have to take off bits of armor you'd have to take things that would kill your body then yeah that done well could be pretty cool especially in a, a huge budget game along the lines of what Anthem was you know, touted to be, as yeah but the, if you take like this kind of like procedurally generated uh or no procedurally generated weather. And then slap it on top of like a world that's basically trying to kill you. Yeah. The idea for Anthem was supposed to be was going to be a lot more challenging than just a regular shooter. Mm. I'm like, it was kind of going to be in that kind of dead space category. I'm like, ooh, like, I'm up for that. You know, that sounds interesting. But because they couldn't figure out how to make it work in Frostbite, they had to abandon it and basically rewrite again from scratch. And this is what kind of led to this weird culture of let's just rewrite shit and constantly try and make the game fit with what we can do with it. Um, and like you actually get to a point where like a bunch of like lead developers just leave. Like, no, we're done. This isn't working. Fuck this. We're leaving Bioware. Um, there's actually at one point when the guy's unfortunately dies as well. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, Shit. Don't think it's related to the actual game development. I think it's like he just happened to have like complication through something else. Um, but they they have to change out a lot of the like lead developers and stuff. And the, there's just a switch that goes. 16 months before the deadline, they bring in a guy called Mark Dara. Uh, he is the guy who is given the top credit on the game. He was only there for 16 months of the eight, like seven years of development. Jeez. Is that like when Arnold Schwarzenegger got brought in for the last Batman movie? <laughs> <laughs> they put his name at top billing because he was Arnold fucking Schwarzenegger. Uh, he, he was brought in like as the head of the studio. Really? Like he and was, he got top billing because of For 16 months left on a game and it, he just... He admits, and people say that, or people have said that he admitted to basically saying, we need to just get this thing done. Like, we're not, like, we can't retreat out of this, and we can't get an extension because it's been seven years and we haven't published a game. Um, we need to get something out the door because we promised EA it would be done by the end of financial uh, year in 2019, or 2018's financial year at the start of 2019. So he just said, fuck it, get it done. Yeah. You With can imagine months it. left. Imagine with seven years worth of development and they have virtually nothing to show for it. Yeah. Yeah, we're just wanting to get this out the door. Yeah. Kind of in the same vein as what they did with Kingdom Hearts 3. There's just, right, but the, the story isn't finished. We can finish it with DLC. 
let's just get it out there before the fans get, you know, revolutionary instead of... It has been a decade. Yeah, it has been. People have been through high school in the amount of time that it's taken to finish this fucking game. Yeah. And to his credit, like, he does actually get the game at the door. And he does, like, get things sorted out. But the problem is... <coughs> The problem is EA um, like have to ship in teams. Like teams come from across like EA's empire of games. Like another team of people from Dice comes and they help people out as mm. well with the Frostbite engine. So there's like almost like paratrooping in. Like <laughs> they just drop. Someone fixed this game. <laughs> but then I think it becomes the problem of it's not the we're not focusing on the key issues. We're just throwing people at the wall and yeah. seeing what sticks. And if that sticks, that's going to help. Yeah. There's not really a or just from the what you've said there briefly, it doesn't really sound like there's much of a, a focus on what was going wrong. They're just like, right, there's a problem with the engine. Let's bring in guys who know the engine to try and fix it. Yeah. yeah. The problem is there's no leadership. And yeah, that's what's just... terrifying. Like nobody steps in, mediates those meetings. Nobody comes in and says, I am in charge, we follow my direction. Yeah, we do what I say because I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And the one of the things that really is disturbing for me is that like Veteran Bioware staff who've been around for like a couple of games, seen you know, seen what goes on, mm. uh, point out the fact that a couple of the games in the past have been like a panic and a nightmare. Like I think it's Dragon Age Inquisition was one of the worst games, like production wise. Yeah, but one of the best received. Yeah, that that game is ridiculously well received. But I think yeah. it was one of the first games that used the the more photorealistic style. Yeah, or one of the first games that used the photorealistic style, and just transitioning from old Dragon Age engine. And graphics to new Dragon Age engine and graphics, which yeah. is a fucking headache for people. Or I can imagine it would have been a headache for people. Yeah. And the, the the problem is that they start saying, Don't worry, guys. The Bioware magic will happen. This is advice <laughs> being passed down from senior members of the team to the younger guys who are like, We're in trouble. We need help. We need to do something. We need to like get direction, focus and actually go for a goal mm. here. Cause a lot of the time, like the most of that five years at the start it's just people dicking around. There's a recurring argument of should the game involve flying or not? Yeah, I remember uh, reading that about there yeah. was there was a discussion they got to what, around the four-year mark. Yeah. Should they include flying and then that took another seven months to yeah. degree, agree on something. That goes like, that argument keeps cropping up. Like every couple, like every like six months somebody goes, well, maybe we should include flying and then like it goes away for a bit and then it comes back up again and people are saying, but how do we, how do, we do this? And they try to make it work. So they actually at one point say, fuck it, let's include flying. Try it for like a year. But then they've got to go back and redesign all the maps because the idea was it would be limitless flying across the world. Oh. And you're like, this doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, that's maybe that's maybe Icarus flying into the sun type shit. You're, yeah. you're getting too close there. You need yeah. to just reel it back in. Nice pun. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I like uh, it. Yep. Uh, but that tire didn't even pick up on it. <laughs> they, they just spent way too long wasting time with like little to no yeah there wasn't leadership le- yeah no leadership nothing to show for the four years that they didn't do anything it's it's ridiculous it's not how triple a games should be made yeah and uh my my kind of closing <coughs> notes on it were that for some reason throughout the article bioware come across as really arrogant with the whole kind of like but we're bioware we've got this the bioware magical game yeah. how can we do anything wrong we're bioware and the, the the lack of leadership is a serious issue. They had like seven years to make a game from scratch and kept fucking around for so long they to finish it in sixteen months. It's insane. Uh, because I'm going to contrast it with Destiny. Okay. Because bring it back. He said you were going to bring in Destiny. 
developers and lead developers and studio heads would become enraged when it was Destiny was brought up because they didn't like the idea that they were being compared to Destiny within their own team. Here's the thing. You're making the same fucking game. You yeah. should at least have the uh, like kind of humble attitude to learn from your competitors, see what they're doing right, yeah. and then take it back for yourself and apply it to your product. Mm. That's just good business sense. Like yeah, that's, that's sensible. That's intelligent. Yeah, but there's this weird ego that says that you cannot have anyone even talking about Destiny in the office. It was like, it was like a verboten subject. It was like Macbeth. Yeah. <laughs> the like Scottish nobody, play. Nobody mentions the Scottish play. Um, I get this. another Black Arrow, Black Arrow reference. <laughs> the the actors. But Bungie cracked out uh, Destiny in four years. And now that's a big game. And you yeah. could argue that Destiny Year One was a bit of a shit show. Yeah. Well, and Destiny uh, doesn't get good until you get to The Taken King, which is a year later. So even then, that's five years. Yeah. At this point, Anthem is still deciding to have a flying mechanic in the game. And that's uh, where I think the main difference will be. If you looked at it and you actually went and interviewed everyone involved, is that when you like look at the old footage like of like Bungie development vlogs and stuff, mm-hmm. like where they would sit down with developers and stuff, yeah, they talk about it like this is a game they've wanted to make for the last decade. But they just couldn't because Microsoft were saying no. And they had to go independent to make the game. Like they, when they left, they were like, "We're doing it, guys. We're finally making Destiny." So they run out the gate with the goal of Destiny. Yeah, this this was the main arrow in their quiver the minute they left. I don't think Anthem had anything like that. I don't think nobody was looking at it and saying, "This will be Anthem." Like if I could summarize it in a word, like in a painting, this would be it. Mm-hmm. Nobody has that at the kind of Bioware studios. Everyone just kind of says, "Yeah, we're making a game." What's called Beyond. Oh, it's Anthem now, but we're still yeah. making Beyond. You know, what's Beyond? Be Beyond is Anthem. Yeah, <laughs> you, you do stuff with like a guy, You've and like you shoot stuff, and there's like dinosaurs, uh, lightning, robots. We'd cancel the lightning, but there'll be lightning effects. You know, from the lightning. What else? Uh, a potato. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there will be other people. And a tree. And uh, I, I hope they fix it. I hope Anthem gets fixed. Yeah, I don't I th- know if it can. It, it would take a lot, and it would take a lot of... It would take more man hours than I think they would realise to get it fixed, and it would take a lot of good favour or goodwill within the community of Anthem, as little or as large as it may be, probably on the little <laughs> side. Shrinking by the day. <laughs> yeah, because there's a lot of people on YouTube, particularly a guy that I've been following called Arix Gaming, yeah, he played it for ten hours, and he was one of those people just going, "Guys, it's not that bad," but he was. There's a there's a lot of you could hear a cocking gun in the background. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, sort of stipulation about that that he was being paid to do it. He was being paid to review. A could you anthem. imagine if you could if you were paying somebody like you need to promote our game? So look, it's going to be suspicious if I just come out saying it's the greatest game ever made. So how about we kind of meet halfway? You can still pay me, like I'll I'll take a paycheck and I'll promote your game. But I'm gonna have to kind of tone it down a bit. Yeah, <laughs> I need to take it down. How far down do you take it? I'm gonna say it's not that bad. I'm gonna say it exists. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I'm gonna say it's there. It's available. It's cheap. It's uh, got a jetpack. <laughs> yeah, you get an Iron Man suit. There's Iron Man suits. Uh, I'm gonna say that, and that way I'm not lying to anyone. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm going to state purely fact. <laughs> There's and, not going to be any opinions. And you get the first positive Anthem video ever made. <laughs> yeah. All the videos that I've seen around Anthem were... I got the Anthem beta and I uninstalled it after 10 hours of play. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it, it was just horrifying to see that the, um, the one time when everyone was having fun in the game, like the community was kind of like, you know what, I'm starting to enjoy myself, was when the uh, the loot system was broken. At one point, the loot system was doling out stuff at like three times the rate it should have. And at that point, every, like a Bioware engineer went, oh shit, it's giving out too much loot. And then they put it back to normal and everyone was miserable. <laughs> But I mean, I want people to fix it because, like, this year in the games industry has been fucking brutal. Yeah. There's been about, I don't want to say like a thousand, but it's getting close to a thousand. Like, it seems like journalism, like online journalism and gaming are having a race so you can fire the most people. Yeah. In the last year, and it's been shit to watch. Yeah. They reckon it's not going to end because uh, Square Enix laid off quite a few people. The, the Final Fantasy team got a severe reduction. And that wasn't a big team to begin with. They were talking yeah. 80 people. Yeah. That has now been dropped by I think twenty odd people since Final Fantasy Fifteen ended, including the director of Final Fantasy Fifteen. Yeah, and that's like it's normally that there are certain game industry cuts that people know and accept. Like when you're like when you're done with the game, when you're not shipping a game anymore, when you're like done with the QA testing. At that point, you can like you you do cut out your QA testing people, and yeah. that's a shame. Those people do lose their jobs and are part of the game industry. But if you're a QA tester, you can typically find work at another studio. Yeah, there's like, always there's always going to be a need for that kind of role. Yeah. There's always a game in development somewhere. If you can travel, if you're not tied down with like a family or like mm. a home or a mortgage, you could travel to another place. You could do the job elsewhere. You could try and work remotely, whatever. Like you can do your job or you can travel to it. If you live in a city with multiple studios, awesome. You could probably just kind of work and it'd be like seasonal work like I go work at this place in the summer and then I go work at this place in the winter and then spring, summer you know you keep, you just keep bouncing between. around but if you're like somebody who's committed to just doing one job like a programmer yeah like if you need to stay at that place and you worked there for so long like these cutoffs must be terrifying oh yeah like, I, I can't imagine what it's like to just know at some point like it's all going to go because somebody making several billion just says I'm not feeling the development this year yeah. like it's not not profitable as it used to be we need to kind of refine and corporately restructure and then you as a creative person lose your job yeah it's, it's terrifying i'm kind of hope, my only hope is that um the indie scene goes a bit nuts now like we have all these freed up gamer or like game developers i hope there's enough talent out there to kind of materialize like smaller studios mm-hmm. like i want to see like some indie stuff i'd love to see a mid-tier like where did the mid-tier go it's either triple a or indie and there's no yeah. in between. Yeah, I can't that's true. Yeah, I can't really think of mid tier. I mean, you think what about mid tier? Mid tier games technically are your re releases and your collections. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's the only way I can think of it. But yeah, like movie tie in stuff as well. Yeah, but movie tie ins are dead. There's not been a yeah. movie tie in in years, and if yeah. there has been, it's been kept very quiet. Yeah. I don't think I've ever played that fucking amazing movie tie in game. Yeah, but I, I think we're missing that, and that's where like the C sixty was the heyday. Of like those like the games that weren't that big. I mean, like stuff like Borderlands, like wasn't oh, yeah. that big. Like it wasn't a triple A thing. It was a it it, was that was mid tier at the start, yeah. and then it became triple A afterwards because it went absolutely viral. I mean, if you even look at games like Dragon Ball Fighter, so that was not a that was not a triple A title. That was a that was an anime fighter that gained ridiculous success, and now it has become a triple A fighting game. Yeah, and then you look at games like even smaller games like Cuphead. 
that game went from being just a little indie game to being one of the best examples of its genre and now considered an upper tier in gaming. Yeah. So I think the next big thing, I think AAA gaming is on the decrease. I think indie games are going to be the next big thing or yeah. quickly becoming the next big thing because it's all passion projects. It's yeah. all pa- projects that people invested in because you look at Sonic Mania, that started off as a fan game, but then Sega went, no, you guys know what you're doing. We're going to we're gonna take you to the show. You're going to be able to make your own Sonic game. Yeah. And you get games like Hollow Knight, which is just, again, another passion project. All the animations and stuff, it's all hand-drawn animations. It's not, it takes a fuck ton of time to come out, but you see where the time has went because they, just say they develop a game for four years, you see where each day of the four years comes from. Yeah. From, you know, initial development, planning, pro, uh, project planning, then you, you go into like more substantial, then you maybe you get sound effects, foley effects. You see where the time goes, which is where I think Anthem went wrong because they had four years and did nothing. Totally, but by the sounds of it, they pissed it up on the wall. Yeah, they just thought, oh, we're the bio, like, I'm guessing they do refer to this old Bioware magic thing. Just, oh, the Bioware magic will kick in. Yeah. They just rely on that. That's not a good thing. It comes up recurring, like, it's a recurring thing in different studios from different people who Mm. just keep saying, they kept talking about this Bioware magic, but half of the Bioware magic people have gone now. (laughs) And that's the thing, like, there was at one point, like, they realized several leads had gone. But they said it was like a constant like churn of people, like a revolving door. Revolving door, people going in that. And at that point, if you're trying to make something, you're trying to make a game, you're trying to teach people about like the Frostbite engine, try people yeah. how to like code certain things and make things certain things work, you can't pass on that information. At that point, you're fucked. Yeah, it's There's the same a, in the the movie industry. You can't expect an, an amazing film product to come out if one director, Justice League, for example, Zack Snyder filmed two-thirds of the movie. For the final third, they brought in Joss Whedon and Joss Whedon did some reshoots and that totally breaks the continuity of the movie because Batman's serious and stoic. Uh, Wonder Woman is kind of the same thing. Same with uh, Flash. Well, mm. Flash is still a bit of a joker. Everyone's quite serious. Then you get to the last act of the movie where the Joss Whedon kicks in and everyone's cracking jokes. Batman all of a sudden is making people laugh and cracking jokes. No, that totally ruins the movie. The best way to do it, and it sounds... It, it sounds very expensive. It sounds like probably the what executives don't want to hear. If you're switching hands, the best thing to do is start again. Yeah. Pull a Nintendo with Metro Metroid Prime Four. People were transitioning. People were going from different studios. Nintendo put out a press statement saying we're not happy with the current direction of Metroid Prime Four, and we have so many moving pieces in terms of you know uh, employees moving from different studios. We're just going to start again. We hope you understand. Yeah. Which is I think at this point is what uh, EA and Bioware should have done with Anthem. Just said, guys, we're we're starting again. We're not happy with the way this is going. And if they were to do that, or even just come out with an anthem two, I think it would probably be fairly successful because they've learned a huge fucking lesson from this game. Yeah. My my thing though is that with this being an EA run studio, I don't think they're gonna make it. I know it's Bioware, and it, come on, who's gonna shut down Bioware? Yeah. EA would do it. Yeah, EA would do it in a heartbeat. Not. EA would just like they are so cold and calculating. But the problem is that then takes away a serious developer, takes away a serious player. I don't think... Yeah, but I think if yeah. they shut down Bioware, would reopen under a different name. They would yeah. do a Platinum Studios. Because Platinum Studios started off as Clover Studios or Team Beautiful for Capcom. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hideki Kamiya wasn't happy with the type of games that he was being told to make at Capcom. Him and his entire development staff split off and made Platinum Studios. <laughs> and Platinum Studios are ridiculous. In terms of they make their they make whatever they want and they're making stupid money. Just baller move. Yeah, just absolute baller move. I mean, they made Bayonetta. They don't need. To, they actually don't need to make another game. They made yeah. 
so many fucking good games that they're pretty much good. They can send their kids to, to kids' college on the, like, tie-in money alone. Yeah. Like Bayonetta, the, from the money that they made from Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, that hacking slash with riding in it, yeah. pretty sure they could send their kids' kids' kids to college. Yeah. That was that was the game that looked so interesting, even I was going to play it. I don't give a fuck about Metal Gear. I couldn't care less about Metal Gear. I'm not a stealth game guy. Yeah. I... Uh, my style in games is more like uh, Lancelot and Monty Python when he just runs into the castle and just starts fucking knifing everybody. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, he sees the he, he sees one of the characters that like lean at the window it's like, ah, oh, that prince is in distress. So he goes and just starts knifing everybody like just fucking cutting everyone. <laughs> That's how genuinely I like to play games. That's when I have the most fun with it. And Metal Gear Rising Revenge really scratched that itch because just everything can be attacked. Yeah. Everything can be cut in half and you actually, if you slice the arm, the arm comes right off. It's oh. fucking awesome. But obviously it's robots, so you don't see any blood. But oh. it's still pretty fucking good. If you hit a, an enemy that has blood, blood comes out. So nice. it's pretty satisfying. Yeah, that's... Uh, that, is, that article on Anthem, it, it takes a while to read. I, 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 had, I had stuff going on in the background. Yeah. I would just kind of read that for like... Chuck through about a thousand words of it. Like highlight where I was. And go back and watch like five minutes of a YouTube video. And come back and just kind of... Like, I had to give myself the reward to keep going through. What is yeah. The incentive, yeah. It's a very dry article. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I keep seeing that Jason Schreier guy around the place, and he keeps popping up on like recommended Twitter things. Mm. Like, I don't even know who he is, and I always assumed he was like a business guy. His photo is him in a business suit. I'm like, you're a games journalist. Like, the journalism part, you can take it as seriously as you want, but the games part needs to come first, mate. Like, you should be kind of like a not like a gamer. Mm. Like, I fucking hate the term. Like the air quotes gamer. Yeah. Like gamers rise up. Fucking Christ. Oh, what was the thing they did this thing on YouTube they got a whole bunch of uh, famous YouTubers yeah. to say I'm a gamer in promotion of you know like uh, people that are gamers like trying to break the whole gamer stigma that gamers just sit in their yeah. parents basement playing video games so they got people like I Justine they got all these like pretty u- female YouTubers just to say I'm a gamer like, these people have never played a game in their lives like going on the phone and playing Candy Crush, that doesn't fucking count as playing a game. Pretty sure Igestine can whip a lot of ass on certain Nintendo games, but okay. I don't know who Igestine is. I know the name and I know oh. what she looks like, but I no, have no idea what kind of video she puts out. She's in a fitness contest with Bernie Burns. All right. And is destroying him. <laughs> he says that they have like an Apple Watch, and she goes, "Oh, you've got an Apple Watch. You want to like tag up and be like fitness buddies and stuff?" And like they're they're sharing like information over the app, mm-hmm. and he says every fucking day I wake up and she's already done a 90 minute yoga session and then is out for like a 10 mile run and then is back and then she's doing some weights and doing kettlebell classes it's like she's a fucking monster but she's one of the ones that it would be like she's OG YouTube and uh, when she's like saying you know, I'm a gamer like I guarantee you she is fitting in some game time from now and mm. stuff like the Switch and the PSP would be more her style like I don't think she's got like a full on fucking battle station yeah, sitting home. Although uh, she did. To be fair, it's probably just me generalizing because yeah, she looks way too pretty to be spending like yeah. time playing video games. She was kind of interesting. Like she's one of the like original YouTube personalities I'm actually interested in. That was like, a very douchey statement to say, wasn't it? Oh, she's way too pretty to be playing video games. Probably <laughs> they're banging. <laughs> Total banging chads. She's <laughs> just they're banging chads. Goddamn Stacy's. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hate that MGTOW shit. <laughs> so funny though, <laughs> all the weird incel stuff that keeps cropping up, and it's. It's incels were the big thing for a while. Furries are coming into the popular consciousness. Furries? Yeah. Furries are like the guys in the fursuits. And all the weird shit they get up to and the fact that it's not sexual when you make a hole you can fuck through in your suit 
It's a sexual thing, okay? Yeah, if you, if you can slide into that. Yeah, if you can hit... <laughs> if you can just Oh, hit the image. If you can just hit that with a little slide. Yeah, just slide in the DMs. <laughs> no, furry Twitter's vile, though. Oh, holy shit. Like, it, you get some normal stuff on there, like people who just, like, draw furry art. Like, people who just, like, oh, like, I like this little character. Like, I want you to have, like, a little... Skater Fox guy. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Okay, weird. cool. You're like a 15-year-old. You don't know where the fuck's going. You want to get a little furry blue Skater Fox? Go ahead. And you get somebody underneath going, I want to fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, Ben, can you drop Ben over? <laughs> yeah, can you drop with his ass hanging out? I want to, I want to fuck it. <laughs> Some of my favourite, like, it's, it, it was a response to, like, a, like a, somebody made this drawing of a woman. Um, and it was like really gorgeous and one of the top responses was can you draw her farting <laughs> oh, that's nasty it's, such a, it's a meme response <laughs> I, just on the whole like, I want to fuck it thing I have seen that when uh, they released the the NECA figures of what the monsters were going to look like in the new Godzilla movie the Godzilla King of Monsters Yeah. people seen uh, Mothra who is a female uh, monster and she had these really really big thick legs yeah First comment was just, I'm a fuck it. <laughs> Not even, I want to fuck it. It's just, I'm a fuck it. <laughs> I will. There will be no stopping me. It's like translation. Gentlemen, I shall fuck this moth. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it, I, I don't know. Keep I an like eye it. on it. It's it's funny. Some of it's funny. Some of it's really disturbing. Um, there was one guy who has some really bad fetishes and people seem to like, it keeps cropping up. And maybe it's just where I am, like where I just keep seeing all this weird shit. Like I love sitting in this weird intersection of absolute madness. <laughs> I think I'm like, ooh, what's going on today? What's this You're just sitting here? there in the lifeguard's ooh. chair just going, oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at that, the drowning puppy. <laughs> <laughs> I shall get him later. The furries are talking. <laughs> I'm a fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fuck that drowning puppy. Mm. I'm going to go save the drowning puppy. <laughs> Can you draw it fun? <laughs> Uh, oh, that was a weird rabbit hole we went. Oh no, <laughs> that's in a weird rabbit hole we went down. <laughs> and now we're a fuck it. <laughs> now I'm a fuck it. Uh, speaking of animals, I do actually have something on the topic. Is uh, I okay. watched a couple of episodes of. I was going to talk about Ultraman, but <laughs> <laughs> this is, well, it's Netflix, so it'll tie in. Yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll tie it together. Netflix has um, our planet, which is David Attenborough series. Yeah, and it's uh, I mean. David Attenborough is one of the few things I don't pay a TV license because I don't watch live television. Yeah. I only watch. You don't need to. No, you do. No, I'm saying you don't need to. Like, you don't need to pay for a digital TV anymore. I know, uh, but you, just, you can like, just get Netflix and it's you get more better yeah, content. On it. That's what I'm doing. Like, I only watch. Yeah, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, I only watch. I'm saying you really need it. Um, I watch Netflix. I watch uh, Funimation now. I watch Crunchyroll, um, and I watch like YouTube. Yeah. As long as I don't watch live events, and I can't be proven to watch live events. Which, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just not going to watch soccer on YouTube. Just not going to happen. Not feeling it. Um, but David Attenborough documentaries are one of the few things I still miss. So when it's Netflix has BBC uh, like programs up in there, like the old like uh, and Frozen Planet, Planet and stuff, stuff like and Blue Planet. Um, but our planet was something you did with Netflix and it's different. Mm. It feels like it's very much addressed to climate change deniers. Mm. Like it... It used to be, like, you'd get little mentions of it now and again, like, deforestation was more of a thing back mm. in the day because he would be in these, like, tropical environments. He'd go down to, like, Africa and he'd say, you know, this this jungle used to be, like, 100 miles that way. Now that's all farmland. But now it is straight up. People, we are killing the planet. We need to change this now. <laughs> is that related to the meme where it was uh, David Atmer saying, maybe 
we human beings should take a step back and allow nature to take over. And all the captions, all the comments underneath it was just do not give this motherfucker the Infinity Stones. We will all die. <laughs> uh, but he, he's been doing this and he, it's he, his first episode. Uh, we watched like four of them. We were like, oh, we'll just throw on one. Uh, but it's it's David Amber. He's a very yeah. Moorish person. Like, yeah. you just, you're never going to be fair very charismatic. Dude. Um, and we watched like four episodes back to back. It's the same, like, we, we were joking about this at the start. And we, we said the key to David Attenborough, like his opening monologue, as it shows you like this variety of um, like different environments are going to go to throughout the series. Because like each episode is its own um, like documentary on a certain like type of environment. So I think it's episode two is the frozen, uh, the frozen planet. So it's like all these different places where it's um, like icy tundra. People like you can't live there because it's like minus forty. Yeah, it's all the usual stuff of like wolves and caribou and polar bears and penguins and stuff. And then episode two or episode three was like uh, coastal reefs and stuff. Uh, so like the coastal environment and all these different places. And then four was the jungle. Uh, but the opening thing we were talking about, like I think the key David Attenborough documentaries is David Attenborough's voice and footage that looks so good it's like it's fake. Like, yeah. it, that can't be real. That can't be a real thing yeah. you just showed me. It's clearly fake. Apparently, if you watch in 4K, your brain will just melt. Like, Ark of the Covenant, Indiana Jones yeah. shit, where your face will just melt off. Well, Ridiculous. We, I don't think we're watching it in, like, the true 4K, but we had it on Netflix. We had it on a 4K television, so it was like... You rocking a 4K TV? Yeah. Oh, cool. That, and, well, this is in at my brother's, and it's, oh, right, like, yeah. it's an even... Like, he's an even bigger 4K TV. He's actually got, like, a proper-sized living room, and I'm like, dude, this is ridiculous. Like just the, the the breadth of colors, like the cameras that he has, are stupid. Like the, the the depth field he can get, like on an elephant as it comes through, they can track the kind of focus of the elephant as it comes forward, and then everything else behind it just softly fades away out of focus, and it like so you see it kind of advance forward with the elephant. Mm. Like this is fucking nonsense. How did Ridiculous. somebody film that? That's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> You're sitting there going, it's fake. It's the only way. This is all CGI. I can prove it. I don't think I can prove it, but I'm pretty sure I can prove it because this is clearly, there's no way somebody sat with a camera and did this. This is bullshit. <laughs> it's like no one got it to this level. There's, a, there's an episode of uh, them at like, a, <laughs> this, is, this is where I'm going to talk about how I'm a really bad person, but there's a, a section about flamingos mm-hmm. and there's a, apparently these salt lakes where there's just like an entire lake uh, that's dried out. There's a ton of salt there, a ton of uh, algae there as well. Mm-hmm. Once every 10 years, hell like hell unleashes itself in a rainstorm on the salt lake it becomes back to life the algae pop back up they kind of start just kind of breeding and spreading out and then mm-hmm. the flamingos show up they just know that's weird <laughs> how, how how do they know <laughs> does one just happen to fly over and go oh shit <laughs> <laughs> the water's back. i'll go back and tell the others <laughs> I'm gonna go get the boys. Um, but they, they like the the flamingos show up, and they the lake is so salty, predators don't cross it. <laughs> they don't trust it. <laughs> they just see the water, they taste it, they go. Ain't having that. I'm not doing that. Um, but the flamingos love it. Like they they eat the algae that are in there, and they're obviously like very salty and stuff. Mm. So they build their nests out there, and they have this uh, weird like little structure where it's literally just a stump they have this weird muddy stump that they just have their eggs on and they, they hatch the flamingo babies and they eventually the lake will dry it because it's salt basin so it's way too much surface area it's in africa the sun shows up heats up all the water evaporates it all out the salt remains and the uh the flamingos have to leave to go back to like 
more the babies can't fly. So the flamingos fuck off. A few of the flamingo adults have to like escort thousands of flamingo like chicks across the thing. And they're all at different stages because they hatch early, they grow up quite a bit and they can eat a little bit of the krill and stuff. Mm. Or the, the algae, sorry. Or just this, the third episode is all about the frozen place, all about krill, and all I've thought about is krill <laughs> for the last like 24 hours. But they eat all the algae and some of them grow up to be quite big. Mm. Some of them are the runts of the litter. And this is where it gets bad because they have to march them across the salt plat- flats and you can see like I was watching the, the main thing of them leave and you, you ever seen like that footage of like a Chinese farmer like herding ducks through the city you're like dude you're herding like 5,000 fucking ducks <laughs> why <laughs> it's just a never ending stream of ducks same thing but with little flamingo chicks mm-hmm. and I was like one that was kind of trailing at the back I was like look at the little runt he's gonna be the fucking last one he's not making it he's dead he's getting eaten no <laughs> He kind of catches up and he keeps falling behind him and then the actual runt of the litter shows up and it's struggling and it's staggering and it's kind of walking along and you zoom in and you see that the salt is starting to crystallise around its like uh, calves and it's weighed down and it's not moving as fast. It's not being cared for because mm. there, there's like five adults for like the thousands of chicks Yeah, and let's be honest, that one's a little bit small, it's a bit shitty, yeah. like, it's going to die. It's effective. But the little one's walking along and the, it just like, it gets to a point where it, it kind of has to go over like a little bump in the dirt mm-hmm. and it falls over. <laughs> I lost my shit. <laughs> <laughs> and it was me, it's me, Stephen, Michael and his fiance Lucy and they're all sitting watching it we're all just having dinner and I watch it and a little thing falls over and it lands face first because it's got no, it can't catch itself. <laughs> and it just bunk over on the dirt and I'm like, Oh my god! And I just start laughing, and then Stephen loses it as well, and then Michael and Lucy are like, "Oh my god, what the fuck was that?" And we were sitting there laughing and pissed ourselves, and just fucking losing it. And she was like, "I'm so glad you laughed because that was too funny. Like that was funny, but I didn't want to be the first one to laugh." At. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be the one to break the silence. I'll charge through that door. Thank you very much, sir. <laughs> I will. I will take that. For I am a horrible piece of shit. I'll admit to that on uh, Mike. But there was a moment that got me. Mm-hmm. They were talking about the ice caps melting and they said they were talking about the walrus population. They said normally walrus population stays up in the kind of up in the Arctic Circle and they will actually uh, like they'll they'll fish in the North Sea, but they'll go north, like even further north, because it's closer to the fishing spots. Yeah. And they'll just like they'll chill out in the Arctic Circle. But they've started coming to Russia because it's too far. Like it's closer to go to Russia than it is to go up north again. The only problem is there are millions of them trying to fit on like isolated rocky beaches and there's no way for them all to fit on there. So some of them have started to climb up the cliffside and they point out that this is a one ton animal that is not designed to climb, climbing 80 metres. And you're like, whoa, that's fucking impressive. Like, how do they do that? Like, you can see them letting them get the footage of them climbing up the, like, the slope and they just... One step at a time, they just kind of flop themselves up the hill. And you're like, dude, this is fucking nuts. And then they show you the footage from the top. And you're like, wait a minute. How are they getting down? And you're like, there's no way in fuck they can climb back down that. Like, yeah. They're just not designed for it. They're they're a slug, basically. They're an overly muscly slug. And then they show you the footage. Uh, and they're showing you the footage of them like panning across cliffs. And you're like, oh no. Because the music starts to build up. You can hear the tense music cranking yeah, the up. music starts to build 
And you're like, oh no, oh no, oh no. And we were like, they're not going to show you this, are they? They do. They show you footages, or footage of about 10 walrus falling 80 metres off the cliffs to just annihilate themselves in the rocks ball. Because oh. they just slip, or they're not designed for it, or they think, I got it, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll climb down like this, and here it is here and then they just like slip and they just start falling it's horrific I was watching it I was like this is like I kind of wanted to laugh a little bit but then like it goes away like when you see the impact and they, they have some of the like some of them you see them falling down end over end or rolling down the hills mm. and then they hit rocks and they just bounce and they like land and they don't move very well afterwards and you're like that's dead yeah and there's, there's no way that survived that there's one that just goes off the edge it drops like 40 meters just into the sea but like you look at it and go that's a one ton animal that's not enough splash that hit shallow sea with rocks on it like fucking christ holy like this series is beautiful it's phenomenal it's amazing that walrus scene should come with a fucking warning (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i don't look for trigger warnings on stuff i don't i think if you're gonna like Explore yourself to the world. You have to see the real world as it is. Yeah, I was not prepared for this shit. <laughs> this is ridiculous. It's phenomenally well shot. The tracking shots of the walrus dying are fantastic. <laughs> I was really worried when they showed that they talked about polar bears, who are the, the mascots for you know, ice caps melting. Yeah, unfortunately, um, but they show a like a bear just walking up and trying to figure out what's going on. Like there's just dead walrus lying on the shore, and the bear comes up and it's like fuck's going on around here it sees the walrus and it's like lying on the beach there's like five of them in a pile where they've all fallen off the cliff and it starts jumping on it almost like he's giving it cpr like he starts jumping on it like pushing on its chest with his forearms and it's, it can't believe there's just a dead walrus lying here <laughs> like so fresh <laughs> so fresh in the prime of life what could possibly have happened because it's so weird that like these animals are trying to adapt to this issue hmm. of climate change and some of them just aren't going to make it. And I was really worried they were going to show the bear just going, dinner's dinner. <laughs> well, free food, dang. Free food, yum. <laughs> I would just, I will say though that the walrus scene, when it happens, you're not ready to see it. It's, it's a walrus. <laughs> yeah, it, it does sound like something that you couldn't prepare yourself for. Because yeah. it's, it's, it's a walrus. Like, yeah. it's they a look dumb... enough like seals, you'll be fine. Like, no, then you just see this massive animal that... Walrus are fairly vicious fucking animals at the yeah. best times. You still don't want to see that thing fall 80 metres yeah. onto sharp rocks. And they show you, it's, like, oh, it's this loving community of like one ton animals with like three foot tusks that, you know, I mean, yeah, they could kill you, but they're probably not going to kill you. I mean, if you yeah. fuck up, they'll kill you. But, I mean, come on, it's a walrus. What could possibly go wrong in a walrus's life? <laughs> oh, shit. Turns out plenty. Turns out gravity. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew right. gravity would be a big thing's worst, worst enemy? But watching it in the moment there with like four other people, like I say, I'm the dickhead. I'll be the first one laughing. Guarantee it almost every time. At this point, I, I couldn't like, nobody just said anything. We're all just sitting there like mouth agape. And just, did we just see that? Was that really just a montage of falling walruses? Like, it seems like a fake sentence. Yeah. It's how like amazing a David Amber show is. Not only are they, not only is the footage like fake, or it has to be fake. Like, the sentences that come out of your mouth as a result of it must be fake. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Now, I, I've always... It's always David Attenborough uh, documentaries have always been just fascinating to me. Just 
how he gets like the footage that he gets it must be fake he must be doing some kind of wizardry to get footage that good uh, and it's always just the subject matter that he manages to bring because he makes you think about things that you wouldn't normally think about mm-hmm. and there's not many people that can do that it's just oh here we see this this exotic animal it may look it may look beautiful it may look like a prime specimen but it is a vicious little bastard yeah like it will kill anything that comes across its path and like oh here's this cute little like wildcat Oh, look how adorable it is. It is the most successful hunter in this like this area. It has a 95% kill ratio. Yeah. That's not technically possible, but somehow this cat does there was it. A, there was a video that i seen. I think it might have been from one of David Attenborough's documentaries. It was up on the BBC uh, Facebook page. And it was, here is this uh, wild cat. And it's just, it looks like a standard house cat. Tiny little thing, big eyes. Like, it looks like a kitten, very small cat. Mm. It, is, it has a success rate of 65% yeah. in the wild. That's ridiculous that number. scary. That's LeBron James numbers, yeah, people. Just, LeBron wishes he was as good as this <laughs> tiny little cat. <laughs> this absolute monster. <laughs> they call this the blender with fur. <laughs> they call this the fucker-upper. But yeah, you want to talk about uh, Ultraman. I did want to talk about Ultraman. Because both of those are streaming on Netflix. Yep, uh, that's the only link that we're going to put out. Segway. But, uh, Ultraman, it was... Um, it's a series that was on my radar for a bit because I'd always known what Ultraman was because I'd watched some old uh, Godzilla stuff and you've seen this giant red and silver. Uh, you would assume that it was a robot, but there's other things in there. But you'd see him and he'd do this with cross arms and fire a beam from his what looked like it was his shoulder. Right. But it was just the way he crossed his arms. It was actually coming out of the space in between the like the cross and the arms, like where the, the wrists met. Yeah, The beam was coming out from there. But it was always this cool program, and especially if you watched Power Rangers when you are younger, you thought, oh, that's just, that's just Power Rangers, I'll watch more of that. Yeah. But uh, this new series that's out on uh, Netflix, it picks up from the original series, and right. there's been a lot of different Ultraman iterations. If you start Googling Ultraman, you're going to find a lot yeah, of Yeah, 1966 it started. Yeah. 50 years. They did a shit ton in 50 odd years. Yeah. They've they, made they a got lot their, of TV. Yeah, they got their money's worth. Uh, it's just this whole phenomenon of tokusatsu... Uh, television in japan it's where you get your ma- your kamen riders your power rangers and all these other different fucking things japanese just love it yeah if and you remember extent, i talked about like sss gridman if you're listening to the episode of that or we did a podcast where we talked about that mm. this is the type of thing that show is based on yeah it's a it's hugely hugely popular in japan so th- this series ultraman that's on netflix it picks up from a uh, where the original a uh, ultraman who is name is Shin Hayata uh, he's picked up it's him in his uh, sort of later years he's now with a group called the Scientific Patrol which were the original group from the original Ultraman but now they're more focused on you know doing other things using their scientific using their you know intelligence for other purposes other than just defending from aliens yeah but then he finds out that his son has what they call the Ultraman factor which means he can fuse with the alien entity that is Ultraman yeah and he can use Ultraman's power uh, and they find this out in the most bizarre way possible. Uh, so Shin Hayata, who's the older, ultra, the original Ultraman, I should mention that he is the original Ultraman, but it's messed with his memory, so he doesn't know that he's Ultraman. Okay. They never explain it, but they just say, oh, my memory is gone. Then... My memory is gone, but I just know I'm a genius scientist, yeah, so... No, Shin Hayata is talking to some other uh, member of the Science Patrol, and he's just saying... Oh, my memory's gone. I can't remember anything from the old days. Was I in the Science Patrol? Like, yeah, you're a big part of the Science Patrol. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Uh, then eventually they talk about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm exaggerating this for effect, but at one point he just goes, dude, you were Ultraman. 
He goes, no, it wasn't. What are you talking about? Then he punches a hole in the wall. <laughs> yeah, I was Ultraman. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I can but, throw a mean right hook. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so Shin and his son Shinjiro are walking through the Ultraman Museum because he's this big, he's this massive figure in Japan at the time. And the, the son's running around all these different exhibits going, oh, that's when Ultraman fought this kaiju. That's when Ultraman fought that kaiju. That's when Ultraman threw a missile up into the sky and saved this district of Japan. And he goes up the floors of the Ultraman Museum to about maybe the third or fourth floor and just falls over the barrier. Right. And you hear a thud, like a massive audible thud. And then Shin Hayata goes down and goes, ah, oh, my son. And the other people around him going, your son fell three stories or three or four stories. Do you want us to get help? And he's like, no, my son's fine. And the kid's just sitting there going, ow, oh, like, make it. That's all the noise he makes. Yeah. Like, he makes the noises of a kid who just fell a little bit. <laughs> yeah, who fell and maybe scuffed his knee. Yeah. And the kid's just going, no, he's fine. My son's not Ultraman. He's, leave him alone. <laughs> Three stories plot. You're crazy. Yeah, no. just, yeah, it's fine. He was right here with me. Totally. Yeah. It's fine. Don't and worry about it. And then they flash forward. Shinjiro's in high school and he's noticing that he's developing these kind of powers. He can jump from building to building, like, with ease. He's somehow, like, Spider Man. Yeah, he can break. Uh, concrete by landing on it the typical anime stuff yeah. and of course he has you know, he has the finding your power scene where you can't quite control it he breaks a guy's leg <laughs> somebody, <laughs> go, somebody goes to kick him he catches the foot and he just turns his hand to the right Yeah, and he's hearing an audible crunch like, you just broke that guy's leg <laughs> I do like the, the little bit that anime will take it that bit further than like a western superhero movie yeah. like a superhero like oh he'll catch a baseball that was like he'll jump too high and catch a baseball yeah. or he'll like it's a dumb example but yeah, you just tw- said Gohan. <laughs> I, I was gonna say like the in the Twilight movies, the reason like they figure out that someone at the school is a vampire is because he stops a car. Yeah, like he stops a car from hitting someone. Like it's always like there's never a casualty. Whereas the anime's like, no, nah, just break that kid's yeah, leg. Just fuck fuck him, him up. He's a douche. He was picking <laughs> fuck on, these kids. <laughs> he he was picking on the idol girl, but um, yeah, if he, he finds out that he's got these different powers, then and all the enemy returns to the scene so the original Ultraman goes to try and fight him but yeah. he finds out that his uh, Ultraman suit isn't working in the same way he can't call on the he can't call down the Ultraman ability or he can't fuse with his spirit or the entity the way he used to yeah. and then he finds out that the kid has the, the Ultraman factor they have a suit made for him and he can tap into it and then he fights the enemy then that kind of kicks off the whole thing uh, and it goes on he meets different versions of Ultraman that are based on subsequent sort of TV shows he meets a character called Dan Moroboshi who is the cool edgy Ultraman called Ultraman <laughs> 7 and he has a samurai sword and he's better than you Shinji Ultra Edge Man Ultra Edge Lord 7 <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's the typical I'm better than you I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna prove it but I'm actually worse because I have to play catch up to you and you were the original I have to I have to make sure that you know that you're the original but I'm better than you I have a sword and I'm cool He's a pretty, pretty poor character, pretty one-dimensional character. And then there's, if I wasn't cooler than you, then why would I have these sunglasses? He has, he has glasses. He does the kind of pushing the glasses up on oh the bridge God, of the nose no. thing. But he does it in the, he does it in the way where if the glasses are down here, he uses the thumb and middle finger and just pushes them back up constantly, just to kind of like, yeah, I'm just, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I'm fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm fuck. Yeah, he, he does, in there now. He, he does the not that out. Great. I love, I love this raw. <laughs> raw footage anyway <laughs> like he does the he does the douchebag like thumb and middle finger pushing the glasses up it's just to kind of say like, I'm, I am your superior type thing then there's the other Ultraman Ultraman Ace who's this kid who has robotic limbs to make himself stronger okay and he's the kind of bright cheery one it's just he calls a, I, I don't know what he calls Moroboshi but he calls a Shinjiro big brother and he's always just like big brother there's an alien let's go fight him 
but he makes it very, very obvious that it's like, I'm not calling you Big Brother because I see you as a Big Brother. I'm calling you Big Brother because you were the first Ultraman out of all of us. So oh, that's okay. why you're Big Brother. Okay. But I feel they need to, they put that in there for the, the English-speaking audience. <laughs> that line was not in the, the original Japanese. <laughs> they added that in just to say... And you know how in most animes you get the quotation marks at the bottom? It's like, Onesan. And this this term means not brother, but yeah. person of respect or older person of respect. Yeah. I think that they just took that and made him read that line so that <laughs> us dumb Westerners wouldn't go, hey, that's not his big brother. They're totally different. So uh, are you watching this with uh, sub or a dub? A dub. Okay, good. There's and a dub version. There are some pretty good stand-up performances. Uh, Moroboshi is voiced by a guy called Liam O'Brien. Okay. Who, who has done some... You could probably trip over games that he's been in. He was in... Um, he played the title character in Asura's Wrath. He played Asura in that. I'm trying to think of what stuff that you've seen him in. He was in he's in Critical Role, if you've ever seen any of that stuff. No. All right, well, I'll get on to Critical Role in a minute, because that, that D&D bug has bit me hard. Right. <laughs> we want to talk about that in a second. But um, off the top of my head, I can't think of other Stu- stuff. Well, this is made by Studio Polygon, and those guys have a great kind of... I don't think they're actually using exclusive like Funimation people, but they have a great roster of people they go to, yeah. and they've got a good eye for people they want to have in yeah. certain roles. And the the person who voices uh, Shin Hayata, the the father of the new Ultraman, is Fred Tattershore, the guy that voiced Damon Baird in Gears of War. Damn. Who I think is just tapped as the dad in anime now, in yeah. da- or in cartoons. Where Christopher Sabat is not available. Where Christopher Sabat is not available, we're going to get the guy that voices the Hulk. Because <laughs> <laughs> that'll work. But yeah, some really, really good uh, voice... Uh, voice styles in it. Christina V is in there as well. Yeah. Fucking love Christina V. She's um, popping up a lot more now. Yeah, for good reason. Yeah. She's a really good voice uh, voice actress. She's a... Uh, she voiced Darkness in Konosuba's English sub. It's hilarious. Yeah. She was also a uh, killer in uh, Hunter Hunter. All right. Which not that many people know about because I know people that are huge uh, Hunter Hunter fans and they didn't know... A huge Hunter Hunter fans and also huge uh, Christina V fans and they didn't yeah. know that that was killer. But the worst performance of the entire show has to be uh, Shinjiro, the main character. Oh god! Every line that he delivers is just. It just say he's going to the science patrol and he's meeting Moroboshi. Instead of being maybe oddly there. Oh hey, there's Moroboshi. He goes, oh hey, Moroboshi. Like, all all these line, all his lines are just so stunted, and it's very monotone. It's kind of. Like, I get that you're meant to be the main character. You're not really meant to have that much emotion, so that the watcher can kind of put themselves. Oh, he's the uh, yeah self-implant character. Like the self-implant character, but and more a bit. Everything yeah. just seems very flat. And uh, not every character has to be the great thespian character. Like nobody needs to hit like several different ranges yeah. in their voice. But the, you think the main character would be just kind of someone you could be invested in, someone that you want to succeed. Yeah. But in this one, there's just, there's no reason that you, you get invested in the character of Shinjiro other than he is Ultraman himself. But he's not the only Ultraman. Yeah. You get more invested in a uh, Ultraman Ace. Uh, I think his name is Seiji because he's just literally out to prove himself. He's he's out to he's out to just be a good guy and clear up his I think he's part of an alien race that just they were in the original Ultraman timeline or the original Ultraman series, they were the worst of the worst. Oh, so, so he's out he has the Ultraman factor and he's out to use it for good to kinda of clear up his old race's name. He's got a good story to him. Moroboshi's the same, he's out to prove that he's the best. Mm. Ultraman's just kinda oh, I guess I'll go fight aliens now I guess have, if you want me to save the planet I guess I'll go yeah I'll just flip my emo fringe out of the way I mean I guess I'll do it I don't have anything to do in my <laughs> but yeah uh, is probably the worst voice out of all of them like because there was yeah. a like oddly enough we kind of spoke about it a bit before we went on air there's a character I can't remember his name but he's basically the man in the chair that whenever Shinjiro was fighting 
Mm. He's always the guy in the air saying, Shinjiro, you're fighting this thing. This thing has this weakness. Oh, he's the kind of tactical... Yeah, the tactical yeah, yeah. dude. Tactical uh, comms guy. Yeah. He is a, he's an alien, which is weird because he has this weird alien head that business suit <laughs> from, from below. <laughs> Thank uh, you, anime, for yet another great idea. It's, it's fantastic. He's probably <laughs> one of the better characters, but he is deliberately monotone. He's deliberately very... like He has very slow speech. He kind of gives more of a human performance than Shinjiro's voice actor. <laughs> and... Uh, I'm trying to think the guy who voiced Shinjiro is somebody called Josh Hutcherson I think he was in a few of the Hunger Games movies have you ever seen any of those nah. or have you ever dragged your brain through one of those movies nah I mean uh, <laughs> it's not great <laughs> I, I like the girl playing Katniss Everdeen but at the same time yeah <laughs> yeah they're not great uh, the Hunger Games movies aren't great and his performance in Ultraman not that great either but ultimately it's a good solid show. There's a lot of really good action scenes. The animation from Studio Polygon is fucking great. They're one of the studios. I'm really glad if you watched Night of Sidonia. Yeah, I watched a bit of Night of Sidonia. The mech battles in that were yeah. tasty. But the thing is, like, every time you see it, like, there's, there's stuff that's not quite right. Some of the stuff isn't great. Some of the stuff needs work. Mm. But the thing is, you see the work. Yeah, you see the improvement. Yeah, and it's, it's been great to watch them from, like, way back. Like, for the last... For, Five, ten years, five, seven years, something like yeah. that. Not that long, but like seeing them grow, like you can watch the grow and see them, like you know that means there's effort involved, they're still learning, they're still growing. Yeah. It means that when they do something big like Ultraman, like I, I looked at, like, I was like, oh, just make sure I've got it added to my list. Saw a couple of the episodes titles, I'm like, that looks way more colourful than anything they've done before. Because right, it's set in, in Japan, like there's not, there's not, a, it's not a version of Japan, it's basically it's set in Japan. Yeah, there's a lot of sort of big bright colors. All the buildings look, you know, like they would look in Japan. It's all very, I don't want to say photorealistic because it's an anime, but they've tried, they've got it as close as they could. Yeah, it's really well done. But that's that's good because one of the things that it's really kind of held them back as far as like design has gone for, or um, is that when you look at what they've done, like Night Estonia, they've done Blame, they've done the uh, Godzilla movies. All of those are like. Didn't they do Ajin as well? Ajin as well. That was I'm not very dark. Ajin, but like Very it's dark. it's all kind of uh totalitarian like establishment societies where everyone dresses the same everyone looks the same it's all very kind of gray mm-hmm. and there's never a chance to let anything like shine through like i think they'd look a lot better in color some of the like scenes from the godzilla uh movies where there's like the characters who have like different skin tones come out and you're like it's it's not just because they're different colored but because they look so different to the humans who live in space yeah they stand out and they look like gorgeous they look amazing you're like oh wow they could really like if they brought more color into their life yeah the, the worst the, one of the the better parts of the godzilla movies were the animation the drawing stuff mm. and some of the action scenes that was the better parts of that movie yeah the worst parts is when they just oh let's go and make a godzilla and make a make a godzilla city and make a mecha godzilla <laughs> you know what we got the weapon systems we don't need to make a cool giant mecha godzilla <laughs> nobody but, wants to see that right and you're like please let us see every that. single fan just glued to the tv going motherfucker are you serious you <laughs> promised us some mecha godzilla did you just cancel mecha godzilla in front of my face motherfuckers but no that's another that's another podcast in of itself me moaning about the godzilla movies again <laughs> but uh, sticking with netflix i watched the dirt the yeah. motley crew a uh, uh, biopic yeah fucking fantastic although i from last week i well i remember i do have a couple of sort of points that i need to clarify i think in the last episode i said that nikki six was played by machine gun kelly yeah that's tommy lee played by machine gun kelly uh-huh. and nikki six is played by a guy called douglas booth who i don't know what the hell else he's been in i don't actually know who he is uh, and i did get mick mars he is played by ramsey bolton <laughs> came <laughs> to that 
dickhead. But he is probably one of the best parts of the fucking movie. Yeah. He's so fucking good. He plays the character so straight. Because Mick Mars was always the voice of sanity in a group of just chaos. Yeah. Because you've got um, uh, Nicky Six, who was just this rambunctious party or just drugs, the whole thing. He would just do it. He would party all night. Uh, Tommy Lee was him and Nicky just went blow for blow on most of it. Same with Vince Neil. I mean, Vince Neil was a notorious womanizer. Mm-hmm. And then you have Mick Marsh just going, guys, I have respect for women. You all disgust me. <laughs> then he, because he had a uh, this uh, this disorder that basically his joints would stiffen up and his, he couldn't his neck his spinal column basically seized, so he couldn't turn his neck left or right. Yeah. So that's why you see when you see Motley Crue playing later in life because he was quite old when he joined Motley Crue. Yeah. You see him, he would always be stiff. Like more often than not, he would have a stool or something behind him in case he wanted to sit down. But he would never move and jump around the stage like he yeah. used to back in the day. And they can, they, that plays into the dirt as well. So yeah, but having uh, the guy that played Ramsey Bolton, because he has a Welsh name that I can't fucking pronounce. Uh, having him play Mick Mars in the way that he did was fucking perfect. I'm uh, trying to remember what his name is and I can't. It's like Rion something like that. It, yeah. His real name sounds like a very much Game of Thrones name. Yeah, sounds more Game of Thrones than Ramsey yeah. Bolton. But yeah, it's Welsh names, man. They always come up. Yeah. Uh, and also, I did say that when Vince Neil finds out that his daughter passed away, that he was in prison. That's not true. Uh, he was in prison, but the way the movie kind of cuts it, it's not too long after that he finds out his daughter has cancer. Right. And that's what, by that point, he's kind of at his end of his rope with Motley Crue and he ends up leaving. Right. And then that kind of sends him into the spiral of depression. But that leads me quite, quite nicely into my main point about the movie is they do cut out a lot of it and they do jump around, but for good reason. If you wanted to make an entire movie documenting everything from day one to the last day of Motley Crue's tour and career, that movie would span weeks. Yeah. There's so much that they did and there's to go into every little detail of what they did it would be horrendous. It would be an endeavour. Yeah. It'd be good to watch to see this watch and all. Yeah. Uh, but you could cut it down to like 15 years. Yeah. And then maybe hard cut to like 25 years yeah, after they, that. They do a great job. Jeff Tremaine who directed the Jackass movies, directs The Dirt. That name does sound familiar, yeah. yeah and he, he's been trying to get The Dirt made since Jackass 1. But right. has just he's, he's always been like, no, you don't, like, you've never had the approval of the band. And when you did have the approval of the band, there's no other movie studio that would pick this up. Hmm. Uh, so, but apparently there just wasn't a market for it. But when he finally got a market for it, he did make, I think he made the right decision and just like, let me put the, the salient points up there. Let me just put like the highs, the lows, the comebacks, let me put the better part, like the most important parts up there. They do cut out certain bits and certain parts are condensed to make it more palatable for a movie, which is totally fine. Yeah. Like the bit with Nicky Six's resurrection after he, he he dies of an overdose for, I think it might be an hour. Wow. But after resuscitation and what, happen, what have you, he comes back and uh, in the dirt, the exact, his account is, he basically just walks home. He walks out of the hospital, sends himself out. He doesn't have shoes or anything on. He's got a tattered shirt. A nasty leather jacket and like ripped his hell jeans. Uh, he's got a piece of paper in his hand. Two fans find him outside and just go, Holy shit, you're Nicky fucking six. <laughs> and he just kind of goes, I'll okay, catch you later, guys. And they say, Where the hell are you going? You let us drive you someplace. Where do you want to go? And he takes him home. He has no keys or anything on him. He gets to his front door and I think it's his manager that's at his house. His manager has to let him in, and that's when the whole that's when they decide to get clean. And right. then the whole band gets clean. And that's where you get this reinvigoration as Motley Crue. The reinvigoration happens like they go when he goes home. He says, "No, that's me. I'm going clean." That happens in the movie, but obviously they cut out the bit where he goes to the hospital and he gets sort of revived at the hospital. Yeah. Uh, 
they more attribute it to the medic, which they do mention in the book as well. There's a medic that says, I'm not letting Nicky fucking Six die on my watch. Yeah. But in the in the movie, the dart, he just kind of injects him with uh, adrenaline. Like, three adrenaline needles straight to the heart and he just bolts up. That's one thing that, when it comes to, even just like first aid, like medical care intention, medical care intention is a process of time. Like, you're trying to stop the body from dying, get it back on its feet, and then ensure that it stays alive mm. it takes a long time and even like basic stuff like you nobody looks at a guy on the ground and goes time for some adrenaline yeah. <laughs> like you, you'd have to be very like sure of what's going on to make yeah. that call so like it's a bit of a shame they don't actually show that guy fighting uh, they cut it down yeah. but they did they don't show you the entire ambulance right but yeah. there's like little voiceovers and stuff that yeah. from the from the actors playing the parts they just say oh, i'm uh, from what I've been told, that the guy was in the ambulance, he tried every which way to try and get me to come back. Yeah. And then eventually just died. Nicky fucking 16 down on my watch, three adrenaline needles. But um, it, that's probably my only gripe in the movie. They do jump about a bit, they do cut certain parts out, but they, it isn't all just to make it a, a three hour movie. It's all just to cut this massive legacy down to a three yeah. hour movie, and they do it pretty fucking awesomely. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about, like cutting it down to a three hour movie. That's a big ass movie. Yeah, that's a. That's a long time. It might not even be three hours. I think it might be two. Maybe an hour and 40, to be honest. Oh, right. Well, then, if they're cutting it... Cause cut I it, can't remember the runtime. I think it might be three hours. Yeah. We talk about, like, cutting things down, like, cutting it down to, like, 90 minutes tends to lead to a lot of films having problems, but if this film survives those problems to yeah. still present Motley Crue in a certain for, way. For as short as it... For as long... However long as the movie is, it does a perfect job of describing... Nicky Six... Like, Nicky Six had the worst childhood. Like, he didn't know who his... His father left him when he was very young. His his step his stepfather beat the shit out of him. This is all like fact. Nicky Six approved this. This is in the book. Yeah. Uh, his stepfather's beat the shit out of him. His mother was like very estranged. We used to like get on his case and all this stuff. Uh, and the the whole point about him, uh, he cuts his arm open and goes to the police and say, "My mum did this to try and get away with him." True. Like Nicky Six has had a terrible like childhood. They get yeah. all that right. I'm not sure, like the Tommy Lee stuff, I want to believe that's true, just as a kind of contrast to the Nicky Six stuff. I need to read the book again, but Nick, uh, Tommy Lee's upbringing was just, his parents were completely supportive of, like, you want to do the whole rock thing? Go and do it. <laughs> okay. Like, just go and do it. And, uh, like, the, when he's talking about, he's sitting on his uh, bed just reading magazines or something, and his dad comes in and says, who's rocking tonight, kid? And he just goes, dad, shut up. And there's this <laughs> kind of like, uh, like, it was quite awesome to see because you get the, the nasty story of Nicky Six, and then you just get, oh, there's Tommy Lee. He was just a regular dude that wanted to play drums that ended up being one of the biggest rock or biggest metal bands of all time. Yeah. But I definitely, if you want to see, in my mind, a music biopic done right, watch The Dirt, do not watch Bohemian Rhapsody. Because I, I did watch say, them that, both. That was our big contrast, but it was one of the things we were looking forward to was showing Bohemian Rhapsody versus uh, The Dirt. And yeah. the Bohemian Dirt. Rhapsody was just very, very clean, very, very... Because for me, it kind of rushed through it in the same way the dirt done it in a way to just get to get to the important points. Bohemian Rhapsody just, just skips over so much of the movie or so much of the story that you, by the time you get to the important points, you're just like, well, how did we get here? Like when you get to the formation of the band, which is one of the worst edited and shot scenes I've ever seen with the different cuts. Yeah. Like the ed- I'm pretty sure I did read something where the editor said, I, I hang my head in shame when I see that because it's just awful. 
Oh, is that the like sixty cuts and yeah, the sixty seconds? cuts? And I think they're in a pub or something like that. Yeah, they're in a they're outside a pub, like having a pint outside. Yeah, and yeah. they're all kind of round this kind of circle table, and it cuts into different ones. I watched that and I just thought, holy shit, this is bad. Yeah, we've talked about it on the forum. Yeah. We we're ranting about it and being like, really fuck it. Like we need ninety yeah. cuts to explain. Like these guys need to try and identify what Queen is, and they all just have to kind of nod. They need to cut to every nod. Yeah. <laughs> the, fuck. Yeah, the, uh, the Wembley scene is pretty good, because apparently that they try to get that as close to the actual event as possible, but at the same time, it's very it's very candy floss, very high, like saccharine, very high sheen, whereas I think the dirt presents a more complete story. Right. Uh, don't get me wrong, there were certain parts of the Bohemian Rhapsody that were pretty fucking good, that did they, they do better than in the dirt. Like the soundtrack, I'd say, presents a better cross section of Queen's back catalogue than, I mean, if you go to the dirt, there's maybe, they play four huge Motley Crue songs. They start off with Live Wire, you maybe hear Dr. Feelgood, uh, uh, Home Sweet Home, and Same Old Situation. Maybe a bit of smoking in the boys' room, but you don't really hear as many big belt in tunes that you would hear from Motley Crue's back catalogue yeah. as you would hear in Queen's back catalogue, so... But ultimately, I would say, if you're looking for, if you're into any kind of rock music, I'd say go The Dirt over Bohemian Rhapsody. I think that's just a clear, someone went in there with a better version that just presents the band much better. Whereas, is it Brian Singer? Yeah, I think Brian, Brian Singer was directing it. Yeah, the guy that made the fucking X-Men movies made Bohemian Rhapsody. He went in there just going, let's just show the good parts. Let's just make this ultra-polished. feel-good film for the ages. You, you don't really leave feeling good. You feel you go in there and just think, I already know all this stuff. We yeah. know the good stuff of what happened. When Queen was good, we already know how good it was. Show us the bad times. Show yeah. us the whole story. Show us the honest truth that makes... Because this thing is like, the highs only feel good when you know how bad the lows were. Yeah, when you see how low they got. Yeah. Which is why I, this is why I think the dirt works more because you see when they were all... When they were all... Um, abusing when they're all on drugs they were all uh, like imbibing different sort of substances you see how low they got you know like waking up at five o'clock in the five o'clock in the afternoon and just basically binge drinking and partying taking drug like that that's the lowest and then you see that makes the high when they get clean so much better yeah and then it just works i think it just works better it makes a better rendered movie whereas bohemian rhapsody they, they never really go into the lows they touch a bit on it I'm not going to say they don't, but they dance around it. They never at one point say, Eddie, for, <laughs> Freddie Mercury is dying of AIDS. And everybody goes, oh, that's a shame. Yeah, like, they just, because I, I don't remember it 100%. I did watch it when I was kind of tired. I probably will go back and watch it again. But like, they end quite, they wrap it up quite nicely. Like, they just kind of say, uh, Queen would go on to play for several more years until mm-hmm. Mercury's untimely death. I was like, nah, I'm, I'm not buying that. Mm-hmm. Not in it. It's a bit too sweet on the ending there. Yeah, yeah. it's a bit too sort of saccharine. But. So with that, uh, I think we're going to do a bit of uh, Here Comes a New Challenger. Here Comes a New Challenger! I've recently, after waiting for a bit too long, got into the Mortal Kombat 11 beta. I was expecting it to, to get my code for it on the 28th, because it only ran for three days. 28th, mm-hmm. 29th, or oh, four days. 28th to the 31st. I was expecting to get my code on the 27th. Turned out they sent, turns out they sent it to me on the 22nd. And it went live a couple of days before if you pre-ordered it than uh, it did if you got it otherwise. And uh, Gotta love that tiered access strategy yeah. a lot of studios fuck with you on. But um, it's it's a bit of a steep learning curve for me, I'm not going to lie. Because uh, I've come from Street Fighter, which is all, you know, quarter circles, full half circles and like different sort of directional bit inputs. 
it's been very hard to pick up Mortal Kombat for me. Right. I think I maybe would have benefited from going back to see Mortal Kombat XL and playing that just to get to grips with the, the combat style or the fighting style and the button inputs and what have you. But uh, being this being this is my first Mortal Kombat game, I jumped in there with a sense of optimism. The customizations that you can do, how you can change each character, it give different effects and even just cosmetic effects to make your character look different. Pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Uh, the animation styles or the different... Uh, like the way each different costume animates in the game is pretty cool because if you get cut on the shoulder if you're wearing a metal pauldron or a metal sort of shoulder plate it'll it'll scuff but if you're wearing just say cloth it'll cut through the cloth and you'll see part of your shoulder oh yeah I remember you saying that uh, yeah, they're doing like terrible cloth yeah you show active damage it's pretty cool yeah but it, it kind of weirded me out when uh, I was playing as Jade and uh, I was fighting a character called no I was fighting Scorpion and one of his moves is he cuts you across the chest mm-hmm it like stabs you in the side, then it cuts you across the chest. When you did that with Jade, it cut right across, and you seen just like flesh, then breast. It was weird to see. I didn't like Ugh. it, but it didn't really zoom in on it. But just when it stopped, I was like, I can see that. I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> you could do without that. Yeah. But uh, I went. I went and played a few matches, but in each match I played, I got fucking teabagged. Right. Like when the guys lined up for the the fatality, they would just keep pushing down. It's like, you're fucking teabagging me. We're really do doing this Halo 1 bullshit. It's still 2008. God damn it. But uh, ultimately, I think uh, Mortal Kombat 11 is going to be a very, very tough time for me to begin with. I think I'm going to have to go and play tutorials yeah. to get to grips with it. But uh, it's, a, it's a game where they just keep announcing new character after new character. I think we had three new characters last week alone. A character called The Collector, who yeah. works for, who's someone in Shao Kahn's employ. Oh, it's like a six-armed character? Yeah, he looks like, like yeah. a Mumra from Thundercats, but with six arms. Oh, okay. So he actually does look pretty cool because he's got all this thing where he can hit you with one hand, like pull out a hook with the other and claw you, then just uppercut you with the rest of his arm. It's pretty fucking cool. Then you've got another character, a Noob Cybot, which is all about sort of teleports and summoning a little sort of uh, shadow clone that could kick people. I think I've played a bit of Mortal Kombat games with Noob showing up in them and I'm like, I'm pretty sure he's pretty fucking... Like, he can get cheesed quite a bit. Yeah, he's... he's like with he's, those teleports and just randomly dropping and just kicking the back of the head and then disappear again. Yeah, he's got the teleports and he can also like throw this scythe thing at you right. and then teleport into you. Like he uses that as a kind of anchor point. Like you throw that into you and then teleport in and just close the gap. Okay. So it's pretty useful. Then there's the uh, the Aaron, there's a character called Aaron Black who's a gunslinger bounty hunter. Right. And all of his moves just involve shooting the living shit out of you. <laughs> but the reason why I'm not going to be playing this character is because he has a lever action rifle on his back and he can shoot eight shots and it's probably one of his more stronger attacks. But as soon as you've used eight shots, if you want to use that again, you need to manually reload each individual bullet in. Wow. And in a fighting game, that is just never going to happen. If you can interrupt it, and then maybe rattle off, like, if you, like, gather through it, just rattle off another four. Yeah. Acceptable, but the whole eight is yeah, just, just never going to happen. I mean, you, pro- you can break it so you can you can do one and shoot again. Right. But if you're doing a combo that involves you shooting three bullets, and you need to sit in... Like space out your character and just reload three bullets and then try and move back and try and reposition yourself. That's just going to be an absolute bollock. Nobody's going to do that. I don't. Nah. Th- I think Aaron Black's probably going to be one of the most least used characters in professional uh, professional <laughs> uh, like competition play. Yeah, it's never going to happen. But uh, except for that one guy who turns out to have found out the exact way to use him. Yeah, he's he's found the frame perfect, like yeah. sort of jump cancels that he can do, and that's that's always my favorite part of. Uh, watching competitive fighting games just seeing the people that have just 
tapped into the game in a certain way that just like, oh, I can get this down to frame perfect timing that I can just do this infinitely and just get away with it. It's, yeah. it's fucking awesome to see the wizards that can just yeah. go in and manipulate game code. It's let awesome. me take this too far. <laughs> yeah, let me beat you without even knowing you've been beaten. Uh, unfortunately here comes new challenges quite short this week because all I have is Mortal Kombat 11 uh, we're still waiting on uh, updates for Smash Bros Ultimate vis-a-vis uh, the Joker coming to the Persona 5 protagonist coming yeah. to the game uh, Street Fighter 5 hasn't had an update in a while uh, I think the next fighting game that's coming out for me apart from Mortal Kombat 11 is the Guilty Gear 20th Anniversary Edition Okay, but that is just that's just an up that's just an upraised uh, anniversary collection. There's nothing new about it. Mm. We're kind of in this weird lull space for fighting games because Capcom haven't announced a new fighting game. They're doubling down on single player experiences. Because in the next two years, we're getting Resident Evil Eight and Resident Evil Three remake. I think this year we're getting Resident Evil. No, next year we're getting Resident Evil Eight. The year after that, we're getting Resident Evil Three remake. Because mm. they want to do it an annual thing, but I think then it becomes an Assassin's Creed type problem where they just, they churn out these games so much that it dilutes the the idea pool and they just run out of ideas. Surely the best way to do that, when you've got that stable of uh, games that are out, is you do like a two-year cycle. You go like a remake and a new one. Remake, yeah. new one. Because then you still get Resident Evil fans get something every year. Yeah. They still pump money at your company constantly. But you're not oversaturating the market. You're giving them the unique individual experience and you're giving your studios two years to make the game. Yeah. And if you've got the engine down and you know how to use oh, it. Oh yeah, I think they're, uh, Resident Evil 8 is going to be the last Capcom game to use the RE Engine 2. Resident Evil 3 is going to be made using RE Engine 3. Okay. Or maybe RE Engine 3, R- Resident Evil 3 remake is going to be the last, uh, that's going to be the last game to use the RE Engine 2. So when they jump to Resident Evil 8, that's going to be the RE Engine 3, which is just going to be Apparently, totally different. It's going to be revolutionary, but uh, I was going to say you wouldn't really waste your re- your like new engine on a remake. Yeah, because I think th- I think they're trying to pump out Resident Evil Three as quickly as they can because they have most of the assets that they need from Resident Evil Two. Because Resident Evil Two and Three happen at the same time. Okay. Like if you, I'm pretty sure if you break the game, you can find areas where Jill Valentine has been, hmm. and uh, you can just say, oh, if you go this way the area where Jill Valentine, you know, has to burn through some old rope to get to this area. You can see that in Resident Evil 2. Okay. So, yeah, I think they want to just try and push that through because the fans want Resident Evil 3 remade. Just yeah. so they can shit their pants with Nemesis running after them. But yeah. I think the next big thing for Capcom is probably going to be Monster Hunter Iceborne with uh, the new ice level and the whole new content pack on top of that. But it's in this weird lull for fighting games just now, which is... It's, it's good and bad for me. Good in the sense that I can go and play other games for a bit. I might actually be able to start and finish The Witcher 3. But <laughs> yeah. it's not, probably not going to happen because as many times as I try and force myself to play that game, it has never worked. But it's also uh, it's also bad for me in the sense that I'm not really getting more of my favourite type of game. Mm-hmm. But I have enough there to play. Yeah. Like, I'm still playing through Smash Bros. I still haven't finished the story mode for that. Yeah. I'm still playing through uh, Street Fighter Anniversary Collection. I'm still playing through Street Fighter 5. So there's, there's plenty there, but... There's just nothing new on Capcom or anybody else's front, really, that's going to make me, you know, pack up a new fighting game. Hmm. So, with that, it's time to debut our new uh, Sports Corner jingle. Sports Corner here, get your Sports Corner. So, Sports Corner. Hey, sports Corner. Why do you put the headphones on you? I have, I have no idea. We, we've, we've evolved past headphones. We don't need them. But uh, this is something I want to get your opinion of. Uh, you are a sports fan. You like the old American football, and you like a bit. You don't really watch a bit of the rugby, but you 
you followed it in previous years. Yeah. You're also a supervisor. Yeah. You also know how to coach someone. And I've coached uh, basketball teams and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, coached basketball teams. I'm, I was a rugby coach in my most uh, recent job. Uh, this is a message sent from the head coach of a... It's an under-12s uh, football team sent to a kid called Dylan uh, explaining certain events that will become apparent when I read the quote. So this is the exact quote that was sent to Dylan's parent. A 12-year-old boy. Yeah, a soon-to-be 12-year-old boy. Uh, Hi, sorry about earlier. I had something urgent come up with the under-7s I had to sort. I want to talk to you about under-12s next season. Dylan is a lovely kid and improved a little since he joined us. But unfortunately, he is nowhere near ready to be playing footy at under-12 level. Next season, it starts to become competitive and is a massive jump from mini-footy where it is just a bit of fun and where everyone is guaranteed to be involved. Therefore, once the season finishes, end of the month, Dylan will no longer be a member of the club. See, it blocks out Dylan's name here, but not up here. There's no point in blocking out his fucking name on paragraph four if you haven't done it in paragraph two. It's okay, fucking yeah, that's a weird it's, sense it's, right It's thing. dumb editing. But aye, so therefore, once the season finishes at the end of the month, Dylan will no longer be a member of this club. Of course, he is invited to the presentation on Saturday, the th- June 30th, but he will not be involved in pre-season for under-12s, I'm afraid, which starts in May. As a coach, fuck that guy. I'd fire that guy on the spot. That is harsh, and I'm not going to lie, like, uh, that is coming from a WhatsApp message. Yeah. Uh, that's like a text message. Um, that's a text message breakup of, sorry, kid, you're no longer in the team. That's horrific. I mean, on the one hand, I can see where the, the yeah. guy is coming from. I mean, from, from a coaching standpoint, if you're if you're picking a good team, you actually say, sorry, this kid's not making the cut. Yeah. You do it in such a way where you say it to their face. You don't yeah. say, like, sorry, you're not making the cut. Or you say to them, you're not quite to standard. We're gonna just we're gonna keep you back for a bit. You're not gonna be playing many games, but we're gonna still coach you. We're gonna coach you through this. That's the hallmark of a good coach. Yeah, and actually, the you don't make the cut moment is a big moment in a kid's life. It's important. It's a moment that needs to be there. Oh yeah, yeah. I've it's something to, that needs to happen. That lose or kind of didn't quite make it moment needs to happen. If you have the you don't make the cut moment, it makes a lot easier to have that happen in like a sports like a kid sports environment when that comes up later on in life. If yeah. you're being let go or you're being fired, mm-hmm. so. I think that's a, a really horrific thing because that coach has shunted that responsibility of delivering that message to the mum or to the dad of whoever he's like the kid of, to this Dylan kid. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a shitty thing to do. Like that's a yeah. really from if you want to talk about like how you train and nurture and like support people because that's job coaching. Um, that is not it. <laughs> that's definitely not the way you do it. You, if you're if your coach your job number one is you get your players to such a point where they believe that they could take on the world. You get them to that, such a space of confidence and such a, a space of confidence and their capabilities that they feel that they could take on anybody and everybody. Then you give them the skills to back that up. Then you train them in such a way where they they uh, support that confidence. Yeah. To just say to them, you were, you were good at under sevens, that was just a, that was just a piss about. Now we're going up to the big leagues and under 12 year old football. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, it's, it's now it becomes the like thirteen year olds and plus, and that's where it gets competitive. Um, let's ignore the idea that you know testosterone might start kicking in for this kid. That'd be a nice little. He's booster. about to hit his teenage. He's he's close to his teenage years where the body begins to change. You are rolling so many dice at the same time. It's ridiculous. It's hard yeah. to keep track of what's actually going to happen to this kid. Making that prediction to say 
he's not actually good. I mean, let's give that coach the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he has a good team of kids. Maybe he's got like a good solid team of like yeah. twelve to fifteen kids that he needs to get to like a, a, a great level or a better level that you, he can develop and he can actually work <laughs> with that kid. And then you've got the kid at the side, you've got Dylan. You yeah. just can't quite get it, and it's been really frustrating to teach them and coach them. And when they're trying to pre- present these kids for the next level of, like, maybe when they're going into, like, high school, mm. and maybe they start thinking about colleges and stuff, where you want to really focus on that, it sounds like there's something else pushing that kid out. Like, maybe it's maybe it's not, like, him. Maybe the kid is just not there. Maybe, the kid, maybe they're trying to be really nice about the fact that that kid is bad at football. Yeah, maybe there's something that kid's not quite there yet, um, and they want to try and be nice about it to the parents, or maybe it's like another parent saying, "Look, I'm paying you to coach my kid at soccer. Um, you are going to coach my kid, and the fact you're wasting all the time with Dylan kid, trying to get him to be as good as the rest because it fits in, it's not fucking working for me. Yeah, get rid of that kid. You <laughs> get rid of him. Get him out. Get him out of here now. Like maybe there's something. Maybe there's some pressure from other external factors to just say, look. We want to make a team where we can actually present these kids as being good at football. Mm-hmm. We can get them forward in place. We can do something with this uh, their, their pastime to where it helps them down the long road. But at the same time, it's a really shitty message to send to oh, the yeah. parent. Like, as the coach, you should be taking responsibility for that moment where you tell the kid, sorry, kid, you're not making the cut. Yeah. I think it can also be an important teaching moment. If you say that you didn't make the cut, there's yeah. things that you can do outside of that. As you see you're not fair enough you're not going to make the cut you're not going to be involved in this team but fair if you want to still be involved like if you want to stick with it you want to keep training by all means keep training but just know that in the back area until we see a visible improvement you're not making you're not making the you're not making the team and i think that could be that's a powerful motivator yeah and i mean it could be you could be right this this kid dylan could just be you know the quote-unquote glue eater that just you know yeah isn't quite getting it or just doesn't grasp it and if he is, it's still not the right way to do it. But if he's just not advancing in the same way the other guys are, maybe the coach is in the right to cut him, but not in that way. Yeah. I'm more annoyed by the lack of personal accountability by the coach there than the actual, like, what's happening to that kid. Yeah. I feel like if I was the, the parent of that child, I'd be sending that, like, the screenshot to other parents and saying, Are like, you happy with this guy like, coaching your kids? This is the guy who coaches your kids. This is the coward coaching your kids. He's preparing them for a, a sport where they will get knocked around. Like, this is how he teaches, this is how he treats people. Yeah. That's a disappointing more from, like, a coaching point of view than anything like that. Yeah, it's, to me, I think it's quite cowardly. Like, it's not, yeah. to, to not approach the kid directly and say, like, you're just not advancing as quick as some of the other kids. Either A, we work on this, or B, I'm sorry, I, I'm not going to put you forward for anything like that. Then other options present itself but to just say through a whatsapp message probably to the parents yeah to the kids parents it's just it's cowardly yeah, that, take that ownership reads like for it's, that's reads like it's going to like hey so dylan's mom yeah. uh i mean it's great having you around nice people but at the same time son sucks dick so uh yeah, you're sounding good at football <laughs> not not having it sorry yeah. um that's, that's horrific i mean who thinks that's the way? Who spends their their, their life in sports? Because that's what coaches are. That that's there's no way yeah. you like you do anything else. And then besides, you like there's no way someday like after a year after years of like teaching art, goes it's time for me to teach kids how to play football. Yeah, I'm gonna take time out of my art career and I'm gonna you know I'm gonna coach rugby for a couple of years. I'll, I'll go coach on the side. You know, yeah. 
Live a little. And again, actually, there are a few people, are a few teachers that used to teach us that coached on the side. Uh, yeah, but there were people who still spent their life in the sport. Like, they are still part of the sport. Thing. I'm, I'm talking about, like, somebody who was never involved in the sport and then comes around to eventually, like, coach it in the end. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to be part of the community. You have to understand the game and everything that's in it. Like, you have to know the sport inside out. Like, who spends their life with that connection to sport? And then fobs off the job of saying no to a kid on the mum. Yeah, that's that's pretty harsh. Nah, nah, it's, it's, it's not the right way to do it. Personally, if I when I've been writing team sheets out or helping, because I was I was only really a forwards coach. For I wasn't even properly paid. It was a volunteer volunteer yeah. thing that I did, but I still did it for long enough that I consider it a job. Uh, <laughs> if it fits on a CV, it's yeah. a job. <laughs> when I was sort of writing who my forwards were for the weekend. Because we'd always do like eight forwards, then you'd do some subs. I, I picked them, and we had a huge pool of players. I would always say to the guys, look, sorry, you're not making the cut this week, but by all means, like, you're not excluded from playing. Like, If you keep hammering away, it, we can make them definite improvements. Or My main thing was always, you're not, you've not made it this week, but I've been taking notice of what you've been doing. Mm. Like, don't think your hard work's not going unnoticed, that kind of thing. If they're just maybe under, like just yeah. on the cusp but not quite above it yeah like if you can only pick eight players and then three subs that 12th guy is going to feel like shit but i mean he still deserves to know he's the 12th guy yeah so like you are like injuries injuries you're right on that team sheet but yeah. otherwise i have the my starting team you're not quite there but you're not excluded from training yeah nobody should be treated like that dylan kid was yeah no one should be like yeah dylan fuck you you're not getting on the pitch anymore because you suck <laughs> nobody likes you and you smell funny fuck off <laughs> <laughs> Your mum short changed me, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh I'm ready for showstopper. Yeah, you have you have the sports centric showstopper. Yeah, put the uh, the sports content, not just to delay the reveal, um, but it was to uh, actually to introduce you to a new sport. Okay. This is absurd. This is the fact that this this sport is played in arenas or like in kind of like small or medium sized kind of sports arenas it's like Quidditch. No. Because <laughs> you I, think I'm bringing you that basic bitch Harry Potter shit? No, because I drove to a game recently and, well, me, me and my brother drove to a game recently and we seen fully grown men and women with broomsticks between their legs playing Quidditch on a football pitch. See, the thing is, like, see if you took the broomsticks out of it and the being a wizard shit, the Quidditch game actually sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, but like, it's you the have that quaffle, <laughs> you have that giant weird shaped ball trying to throw it through it, like netball in a way, mm-hmm. and you have like a keeper and stuff like that, like in a weird kind of handball kind of rugby type sport yeah that'd work i don't know how you get like the i mean the bludgers as well like you get people to just knock balls at people at like 90 miles an hour yeah that sounds awesome don't know how you handle the snitch yeah do you just get one guy like with a one guy a, with a drone with a golden <laughs> ball just swinging it above his head whoever catches it and rips it off the stick they get the the, is it the Actually, snitch yeah the snitch yeah that'd be an interesting way to handle it you have like an you have a, a an arm that just starts, like, that just launches. Actually, you just have a little tube that randomly just launches the snitch out of it. And it just goes on. Like, it just launches on the field. For, like, first person to, like, have it in their hand above their head wins. I'd actually, could, I'd play the fuck out that game. It's the fact that you have to spend, like, two or three hours a Saturday with a broomstick between your legs. That's and what I'm saying, like, Gryffindor. Get, get, rid of, get rid of the witch's clothes and get rid of the broomsticks. Like, just make it like a, just make it like rugby. Yeah, just make it like rugby, but you hit people with stuff. <laughs> yeah, just you've got a, a, a policeman's billy club and just batting about these. Honestly, I think that'd be the shit. I, I, I'd play the fuck out of that. <laughs> yeah. Just get rid of the fucking weird nonsery. You'd be great. Yeah. Get rid of the weird wizarding attire. Yeah. Get rid um, of the fuck. 
but this is a, a, a professional sport that's played from like it literally I, I talked to my friend about this because this is a sport from India called mm-hmm. Kabaddi now this is K-A-B-I no sorry K-A- oh, Kabaddi yeah Kabaddi yeah uh, he did it Kabaddi oh, right. <laughs> uh, so it's K-A-B-A-D-D-I yeah now this is basically professional tig it is the shit professional tig yes okay you play in team 7 the court itself is about the size of I'm going to say badminton court Okay, yeah. Because you and I both play badminton, but it's not that big. I played doubles, but I was terrible at doubles because I, I, I don't work well on teams. It's about the size of... <laughs> no, the plays well on teams is badminton. It's, it's your racket in your hand covers half the court. Yeah. <laughs> I was, a, I was an energetic fucker when I was younger. I was all over the place. <laughs> I was like, pick up your shit, motherfucker. I was a nightmare to play with. But imagine about the size of a full-sized like tennis or badminton court, mm-hmm. like the full thing. Um, and not massive, but still space to run about. Yeah. Um, you have a line down the middle, t- two teams of seven. Now, this is the thing, is that you, the, the rules don't stipulate this, but all the footage you'll find nowadays, and this thing is, it's been played at a national level. There was a Cabaret World Cup. Mm-hmm. Cabaret was presented at the Asia Games, basically at the Asia-specific Olympics. Okay. In 1990, it was originally presented when the original ones were done in 1952, and then it wasn't quite accepted. They put it back in in 96 or something like that, and it's coming, like... It's come back since about 2002. So this has been at like an almost Olympic level sport. And yet, no one west of India plays it. <laughs> Fucking it's nonsense. Not, I'm it just is, getting the image of an Indian refugee scoring hot. You're it. <laughs> <laughs> Run away. Well, I think it's, a, it's, it's, it's a little bit more organised than that. Slightly. <laughs> slightly more organised. Slightly, I'm going to get there. Because the thing is, these are big boys. Yeah. This is rugby. Really? This is rugby level, like, muscle, like, these are some thick boys, thick ass boys. <laughs> some big boys. Torsos, proper man torsos, yeah. brilliant. Um, but it's played in half, and then the seven guys are on one side, one guy steps forward into their half. At that point, he's kind of positioning himself. He has to tag as many people as he can, and then get out before he's stopped. He has to get back over his half of the line. Each one of those players has a point, and they also sit on the side. So it's basically dodgeball rules in that mm. way that once somebody's tagged right, the only thing is they can stop him. So once he starts tagging people, he can get stopped. And I mean, they hold him in place because... <laughs> they once, just grab him by the shoulders. Once you start tagging people and once you actually like cross the line, you're allowed to keep staying in that line and you're still active as a player as long as you say a word. Now, normally the word is cavity. So you say cavity, 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 cavity. As you're going through picking out who you want to tag... And the, the setup for it is really interesting because it's it's kind of like American football. There's a lot of setup, a lot of positioning, and then there's like half a second of violence, and it's just all the like the explosive power of all these guys. So you can tag, you can go away, like you just tag one person and jump back over the line. You get one point. That one person's out. Next person comes up. Playing it safe. Play it safe. Or you can go for the big bucks. You can go for about three or four people. So it gets really fucking interesting when you see people try to position each other, and also not only that, but as the defensive team. If you can position your guys so that there's somebody, like, behind them, out of eye view, when that guy starts, like, tagging people, your guy can just come in and just sideswipe the motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of positioning and stamping and stuff. Um, I, and you see a lot of, like, footwork and stuff. from like, when I'm fencing and stuff, I'm like, ooh, that's interesting. You see people, like, positioning, like, where they're looking at and how they're... And you can see how this develops from, like, a kind of skirmish game when you're trying to, people how to like, teach people how to fight with swords. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that in it. Like, just this weird kind of, uh, like, ritual setup. There is almost no rules on how you stop people. I have seen people 
body slammed in this game. You can go on and find games that's on YouTube yeah. on uh, YouTube and stuff. So wait, wait, wait. There's no way. There's no like. See, you can only hold them like by the shoulders and a kind of around the shoulders hold yeah. thing. You can just literally suplex a motherfucker if you want. When they stop saying the word, it doesn't have your cavity, but I just keep saying it's cavity. Yeah. Um, but it's, when you, they stop saying the word, or when they can't move forward any further, and they just have to get their hand over the line. Hmm. But they have to like keep saying the word. They have to keep being capable of leaving the the arena or leaving their they they pose in half. If you can stop that, you got all your guys back. You they don't score any points, but you have to go in and tag as many people as they can and jump back over. Hmm. That's pretty much it. But you can see people just get like held. Uh, so one guy going for a couple points and uh, like grab a couple of bodies, and he starts trying to turn and run back. So it's either do you turn and use your full body strength to run back, at which point you'll be pounced on from the back and have to like fight your way forward. And I mean it's a fight. Yeah, it is a guy like I have to touch the other line. I have to touch beyond the line. To get all my points in. And all the guys have to try and stop him. I saw a guy like get picked up by the waist. Turned like eight, 180 degrees. And then just slammed back on the ground. At which point like four other dudes jump on him. The fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I was like this is awesome. This is like it's put on a hardwood floor. Like these guys do not give a shit. Jesus. It's like big guy. Like you can see the reason why you're big. Like if you're a tiny little scrawny guy. Yeah, like, you're breaking something. Yeah, like you might be able to jump in and nip and be real quick and stuff. But then you get grabbed, you're breaking an arm. Yeah, you're getting... I'd recommend it. Just take half. Take 20 minutes. <laughs> just look up Kabaddi. Take, take 20 minutes. Just go Google Kabaddi. And you just have an absolute riot. It's the you, You'll not get the rules at first. You won't yeah. understand why things are being called certain ways. And then you'll see it. And then you go like, well, like halfway through your first game, you go... Oh, oh, like that. Yeah. Oh, so he does that and then that and it, like when you start piecing together the rules of the game, it's a lot of fun. Like I'm gonna look forward to like watching Cabaret when I can. Like if I can just throw on a game, <laughs> professional Cabaret. Yeah, I'm just gonna like what do you do? Oh, we're just watching the game. Oh, like the NFL's not on. Nah, bro, Cabaret. <laughs> Cabaret League. Woo. <laughs> Taiwan's playing this year. It's gonna be the shit. <laughs> we're watching the IPK Indian Professional Cabaret. <laughs> It's it's amazing. Like you, you look at these teams, and it's 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 weird that it got to this level of professionals. Like really? we're talking like the I, an I international professional cabinet leagues. We're talking like full get up, like a full like unique strips, like and very Indian inspired. Like it doesn't look like a like a, an English football league team. It doesn't look like a rugby team. Like it, it, all their like outfits are like much more colorful, much more bright, and much more like proud of their game and you're like people are like cheering in the stands with signs and like yeah if I can fuck him up <laughs> and you're like, how did we miss all of this like how do we not see this shit so go watch a game of cabaret if you've oh, got the actually the PKL the pro cabaret league <laughs> <laughs> so go watch some PKL sponsored by Vivo I guess so <laughs> I, I remember the name Vivo from somewhere I'm gonna quick I will be quick Vivo's the quick uh, Vivo Oh, I was going to say that. that's Vimeo. I was going to say the, the compare to... Um, it's a technologies company. Oh. Hmm. Uh, hold on. I think they Primarily might... based in India, I'm guessing. No, China. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's spreading no, east. Wait, no, wait, uh, no. Vivo India. Yeah. It's it's spreading east. Uh, that's the thing. Is it's oh, being... they, they make mobile phones. So hmm. they, they've got a pretty big sponsor. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's, it's a weird thing. If, like, it's solely... Like, normally you see some like weird sports and you're like... Dude, who the fuck is it? Like, this is like bum fights level shit. You look at this. This is filmed with like 4K cameras. The refs are like highly respectful. You see these guys going like, no, 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 we're, we're fucking dealing with this issue. Like, you were out, you were this, and they'll like go back and review the footage and stuff. I'm like, 
How did we miss all of this? It's amazing. Right. Would you like to hear the names of some Kabaddi or pro Kabaddi league team name? Go for teams. it. We have Dabang Delhi. Right. They have Puneri Paltan. Right. The Jaipur Pink Panthers. <laughs> the, the Haryana Steelers. Yeah. The Gujarat Fortune Giants. Yeah. And Umumba. <laughs> <laughs> I think that may be University of Mumbai. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. I know. It's, it's like, fascinating. The points difference in these is like... The points difference for... The points taken by... Like, Dabang Delhi is 22 with 11 wins. That's... Jeez, oh, I'm... I'm I'm all in on Kabaddi now. I'm it's look intense. At it's really good. I think you'd, I think you get a kick out of it. And if you're looking for something different, if you're bored of the like traditional sports that you see all the time, yeah. just go. F- here's something new you can test. I'm out gonna get a Kabaddi team going in my my uni. Yeah, <laughs> the University Edinburgh Edinburgh <laughs> Kabaddi League. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, this is the beginning of the story of the little boy who could from bonus. <laughs> <laughs> he became the world Kabaddi champion. <laughs> Damn right, it's gonna happen. I'm going to join the Bengal Warriors. <laughs> so, yeah. Staying on brand, I'm going to go from the Glasgow, Glasgow Warriors fan base to the Bengal Warriors fan base. Uh, going, to, going to change my name. I'm going to become fully embraced in the Indian culture. I'm going to go to the top of the Kabaddi Leagues. So that has been it for another episode of the Jabber Push Podcast. If you've enjoyed yourself, uh, feel free to subscribe to wherever you find this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should be on iTunes. We, should be, uh, we mostly put our stuff up through Podbean, mm-hmm. but that generally kind of distributes it to just about everywhere else that we can think of. Um, if you uh, want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow me at IronWordMad. You can follow Dom at... Dom Anderson 25 And you can follow the podcast for announcements on when new episodes come up on uh, at Jibberpish on twitter or you can contact the podcast at jibberpishpodcast at gmail.co.uk i'll see you next time see you next time